0: How do we manage our rosters for injuries, especially when the player keeps playing and we might not even know he's hurt? I'll ask Baseball HQ Speculator columnist Ryan Bloomfield about that and a whole lot more, next on Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. Ah. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com,
0: columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 7th. It's show number 23 of the 2021 Fantasy Baseball season. Number 23 is my lucky number. Hope it's lucky for you too. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host. We have another great Friday full edition for you. We'll have our feature expert interview with Ryan Bloomfield, the speculator columnist at BaseballHQ.com, discussing managing through all those injuries, hidden and otherwise about his Bloom Boards features on Twitter, about Taylor Swift and the Ham Sandwich, and his slumps, pumps, dumps, and pumps. We'll also have our Market Watch Player News reports, Harold Nichols with coverage of the National League, including the Dustin May fallout in Los Angeles, center field troubles in Philadelphia, catcher problems in Milwaukee and Atlanta, and more. And Ray Murphy has news from the American League, including the departure of Albert Pujols, Luis Robert, Alex Kirilov, Daniel Lynch, and more. We'll also have our regular commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the frequent flyer, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at Seattle right-handed starter Logan Gilbert. And in extra innings, I'll be talking about fun with filters. It's another big Friday full edition. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The speculator is in the house. We are going to talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Friday full edition, part one of our feature expert interview with Ryan Bloomfield, the speculator columnist at baseballhq.com. Ryan, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. It's been a while.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a little while. It's always great to be back on and it and it means that it's Friday. So that's uh that's that's good news. Thanks for having me back on.
0: How are your fantasy baseball teams doing so far in this young season as we go through one month?
1: Uh, so far not to not to not to gloat or anything, but so far pretty great. Um, labor mix league I'm in first, and Tautal I'm in between second and third. Uh, kind of fighting that out. Third in TGFBI, fourth in the main event. So, in position, I haven't totally bombed my teams so far uh, through April. So that's uh, about all you can ask for. Um, despite all of the injuries going on right now. Yes, no
0: kidding. Uh, in the uh, main event. I was talking about this with uh, a previous guest, and uh, uh, it was Vlad Sedler, who's been quite successful in the main event and in T- in uh, NFBC in general. And I wondered because you in in a uh, the main event, if you do well inside just your individual league, you win some money, right?
1: Yeah, there's two components to it. There's the yeah, there's the 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 league payout, but then um, a lot of it goes to this overall competition. And in the main event, there are 645 uh, fellow contestants. So I believe the overall prize for that is like $150,000. So a a good a good chunk of your entry fee goes to the overall where you're competing against all 645. But then there are some. Uh, there are some league payouts as well just to uh, if you finish in the top three in cash, they, they keep you coming back. So, um, yeah, there's two components to it.
0: How much do you win if you win a, your individual league?
1: I believe it's seven thousand. Um, I have not won an individual league yet, so I wouldn't know. But I believe it's seven thousand on a seventeen hundred dollar uh, entry fee. So a good chunk of change for sure. Although, with the amount of time we put into this thing, um, I, it still might might not be minimum wage. We'll we'll, we'll see. <laughs>
0: yeah, nobody ever counts in the amount of time. That's right. Uh, the the reason yeah. I ask though, Ryan, is when Vlad and I were talking about it, I proposed this idea that. Everybody knows that part of the core strategy of playing in the main event or any kind of League of Leagues uh, format is you have to have a balanced team because if you don't, there's no possible way you can compete for the overall because you'll be so far back in one of the categories and it costs you literally hundreds of points, not just one or two points as, as in the single league. But if you took that knowledge and applied it by thinking... Inside my league, I'm going to punt the overall competition, I guess is what I'm getting at. And by doing that, I can punt an individual category within my league because I know everybody else is going to be going for a very balanced approach, and I might be able to steal this league and make 7000 bucks, which ain't nothing. And if you did it year in and year out, eventually you'd probably make you know, a, a good chunk of change, as you described it, and the main event's full of really good players. And so your chances of winning the, the main event, I think, are almost more luck than skill, especially when you look at some of the names on that list, Casey Cha and, and guys like that, who are multiple winners. Uh, Lindy Hinkleman's name is always on there. Uh, John Halsma, guys like that. So that's who you're up against. Is it not possible that the, if the money-making play is to concentrate on your individual league and just ignore the overall?
1: I actually think there's something to that. Um obviously like because so much of your entry fee goes to the overall, like I, I think you do wanna at least uh when you're in draft, uh take that balanced team, especially because you can't trade and at least give yourself a shot. Um but mid season, if something's not working out, if you've lost, you know, your two closers and the you know, the waiver wire fab is just is just not there. Um I think it's 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 it it makes it kind of makes sense to do that because like you said, everyone else in your league is doing a balanced strategy because that's kind of what you're supposed to do in the main event. Um, you know, the kind of the counter argument would be if you're going to punt something, then just don't join the main event. Um, but then if you're in a standalone league like that, you have other teams doing kind of wild and crazy strategies um, that that we see, like, for example, in AL Tout, um, you know, some guys, you know, punting strikeouts and that sort of thing. So um, there is something to that. If you are in an overall and it is something's not working out, every other team is striving for balance. That is one place where if you want to just kind of kind of salvage what you can with the with the season finish in the top three and and and, and, and just cash. Um that, that that could work because nobody else is doing it essentially in, in that main event. Whereas in the standalones, yeah, you, you're gonna see different different people try try and do different kinds of things. So um that, that could be one way to stand out for sure if uh, if if something's not working out in a specific category for
0: you. In the great fantasy baseball invitational, you said you're in fourth place on your individual league.
1: That's right. I was in fourteenth two weeks ago. So that's um that's how crazy it can get.
0: And you're in a genuine dead heat as of the other day when I looked with Doug Dennis, actually, of Baseball HQ. You both guys both had exactly the same amount of points in 60th spot, which sounds low, but actually it's out of 435, I think, teams. So you're kind of top 15%, which is a really good result so far. What has gone right with that team?
1: Uh, yeah, that 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 team's been pretty strong. The, I mean, the big thing is my my Red Sox mini stack. I was a big uh, a JD Martinez rebound guy coming into this season. That's obviously worked out. Um, I thought the the calls of of, of JDM's uh, demise were were premature. So getting him Xander Bogarts was was good. I survived the Fernando Tatis scare. So I had the third overall pick and 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 took Tatis. At, Little worried about the the shoulder going forward, but um, he's somehow still doing his thing with uh, swinging with two hands. So um, that that part that part has worked out really well. Uh, haven't really missed on closers. A lot of a rolled as Chapman um, in that league, and that that's worked out really well. He's striking out more than half the batters he's faced so far this year, and, and racking up some saves. So um, no no uh, no early early round disasters, which again is is kind of the goal so far in the first. Uh, the first six weeks of the season.
0: Any flyers that you took that have really worked out well in the latter rounds?
1: Richard Rodriguez was a big one for me. Um, got him on a few teams. He's just been really strong and, uh, you know, he kind of price was, was down because the pirates, you know, weren't going to save games, but, uh, but he's, he's pulled through and he's been really good. And, and, and and we're seeing so far in these, in, in in these leagues, the saves are just so hard to come by. Um, and it's been, it's been rough early in the drafts. I I put this tweet out the other day out of the top, I think there's like 12 relievers that have over six saves and only two of those 12, uh, were picked in the top 120 of main event leagues. And that's a role as Chapman and Josh Hader. So, um, hitting on those late saves has been, uh, has been very advantageous if if you pick the right guys of course.
0: I think that that might be kind of a theme that we should keep in mind every year uh before we go into our drafts is that those top closers are very risky because you know I I know a lot of guys who spend a lot of money on Liam Hendrickson so far you know it just hasn't been a terrific year for Liam Hendricks and uh, and the the price that you pay for Liam Hendricks in an auction league for example could have got you two of uh, you know your Taylor Rodgers type guys and you could have got Ian Kennedy probably for a dollar at the end
1: yep yep absolutely and you know it's it's kind of funny that that's same thing i was looking at the top 3 saves guys through Thursday's games were uh, all all picked out of the top 300 outside of the top 300. So Mark Melanson, Alex Reyes, who I have no idea how he's doing it. He's walking, I think eight guys per nine innings and hasn't given up a run yet. And, uh, and like you said, Ian Kennedy, um, all those guys going super late in drafts and uh, you know, cheap because they weren't really at the time you were drafting, you weren't really sure if they were the closer, uh, especially like Alex Reyes, just kind of came out of nowhere and, and just immediately went into the Cardinals' uh, ninth inning role. But um, but yeah, so far, I mean, it's still early. Uh, there's still time. I, th- I think Lee, Liam Hendricks will be fine as long as uh, as long as he's not put in for a pinch runner in in extra innings games like he was the other day and doesn't have to run. But um, but yeah, at least so far, the the strategy of waiting on saves even to the end of your drafts is has been really good we had uh tom mulhall who's uh, a hq subscriber um say the other day he didn't pick he in a 15 team league he didn't pick a closer until i think outside of the four first 14 rounds and he's second in saves right now so again with everything it's about picking the right guys hitting on the right guys but there's this season we're showing that uh that saves are available in the end of the drafts and then those who waited on it took other guy took good hitters but, Good bats, aces early, and then waited on closers. Is uh, they're they're off to hot starts.
0: I didn't spend much money. You and I are both in the Tout American League league, and I think I'm leading in saves in that league. And I didn't spend any money on closers. Really, the my big dollar closer was Alex Colome, which has turned out to be something of a disaster. And but uh, it seems like every, guy, every pitcher I have on my roster has at least one, and maybe only one, and sooner or later the rest of you are all going to catch me up. But uh, I think the saves is always an interesting category to think about. Uh, across all your teams in all your, in all your leagues and formats, Ryan, have you noticed any common themes about certain players haven't done well for you or have done extraordinarily well, or have you seen trends insofar as the general shape of the game and the shape of baseball?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the, I think the biggest trend is I, I look down my roster and see a lot of what they call, at least in the NFBC, the, the red suitcases, um, because people are are so many guys are hurt. I, I mean, on, on my main event team, I've got Nick Castellanos out, Gene Segura is out, Starling Marte is out, Cole Calhoun is out. He's probably a drop. Um, Matthew Boyd. It's the the general theme is how hard it is to manage all of these early season injuries, especially in a league or in formats where you don't you can't just park people on the IL. What are the what do those drops look like? Like, am I going to keep Starling Marte, who's out until at least uh, June? Am I going to keep him and, and waste a roster spot holding him and put myself at risk of? having, you know, not enough guys to field the team when you combine that with the other injuries. And it's not, it's not just a me problem. That's pretty much every other team that I've noticed is, uh, is, is how people are managing injuries. Like every year they happen. Um, you've got to be prepared for them and just, and, and react accordingly. Uh, but the thing that I'm doing is just every week in fab, making sure I have coverage at least, and AL touts a different animal. Um, you lose a hitter and there's just nothing available, but make sure you have coverage every week at every hitter spot, if you can, because injuries are just hot and heavy so far this year. And, and uh, you really want to avoid zeros as you can. So um, that's been the general theme. is just how many, how many injuries there have been this year. It's been, uh, it's, it's been, it's been maddening. Last year was all, you know, teams out and players out because of COVID this year. It is, I mean, it's all, it's just a lot of injuries. So it's, uh, it's, it's tough to, um, Tough to stay ahead of it, but everyone else is in that same boat, and uh, you just kind of do what you can and, and grind it out in FAB every week and give yourself some coverage.
0: I wonder if this is going to be the new advantage that canny players can figure out as they go into drafts. Uh, Ron Chandler, of course, through his Bab system, allows you to put injury risk onto kind of a ledger where you're trying to make sure that you don't have too many risks in any one category and not too many risks overall, uh, depending on how players are categorized. And certainly we know some of them are injury risks, but don't you think one of the problems with the injuries this year is that it has been knocking down guys who don't have an injury risk in their profile? If you went into this year, you look at a lot of players who are on the IL and you think to yourself, how did this guy get on the IL? He's never hurt.
1: Yeah, exactly. That and that's the thing this year is like, yeah, there's always and and with Ron's, you know, injury risk and BABs and and, and the liabilities and that sort of thing. But, I mean, it's all a percentage play. Like you're just trying to minimize risk. You know, if, you know injuries are going to happen to your team. Um, but yeah, it's just been uh yeah, guys who you think are healthy haven't had IL days who have a health grade so to speak in the in the baseball forecaster are going down and really there's I mean, honestly, there's nothing you can really do with that i mean all you do, all you can do before the season is put yourself in position to draft guys who who have that track record of, of staying healthy and racking up games played once the season starts yeah things are going to happen so um you know it it, it hurts but uh you know, no pun intended but you just gotta just gotta keep going and and know that everyone else is having the same issues and and uh and just put yourself in position to back yourself up throughout your roster
0: it's funny you say that because I believe that when we look back this year, especially in big leagues like uh, the main event and some of the other big NFPC leagues, I think what we're going to see is a lot of the teams that come out on top are going to be the ones who just avoided the injury bug. Yep, and and
1: research has shown that. I remember at First Pitch Arizona a few years ago, The um, you know everyone was talking about at-bats, maximizing at-bats, plate appearances in general. Uh, I forget who did the presentation now, but um but there was a, a very distinct correlation between at-bats and final place in the standings. And some of that is luck just avoiding injuries, but a lot of it too is I bet those I bet those guys did have injuries and they and they backed themselves up appropriately. So yeah, it's all about racking up. Playing time, racking up, counting stats, and uh, yeah, avoiding the injury bug is certainly a huge help. And with anything too, like you mentioned this earlier, like the you know winning in overall in the main event, yeah, yes, there's some skill that goes into that for sure. But uh, but so much of this game is is guessing correctly and avoiding injuries. And when it works, you like to think it's all your your fault or all your uh, your the reason is because you're, you're you're a smart player. And when it doesn't work, you got unlucky, right? That's all it's, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's
0: that's exactly right that's how everybody sees it and but if you're being honest with yourself you know that there's a there's certainly an amount of uh, of luck that gets involved no matter how good you are at it i mean we look at the outcomes in nfbc for instance and we do see the same names at or near the top of the table pretty much every year but uh, every so often somebody will come in who's just had a really good year on on luck whether it was some sort of also ran 22nd rounder who all of a sudden gets a full-time job amasses some county stats does better than everybody thinks or whether it's just you have a bunch of guys on your roster who don't get hurt And and I think those are two really big factors that are out of our control but the point is I think that you're making very well is that you know that this is going to be an issue so you have to manage to try to mitigate the risk to the greatest degree possible. For instance, uh, what came into my mind when you said it was have as many players on your roster as you can who are full-time players with multiple position eligibility. That seems to be a source where you should be getting a lot more value.
1: Yep. Uh, I mean, and, and I've kind of put that in, in place the last couple of weeks, just grabbing uh, Hunter Dozier is a drop for for a few people. He's eligible, playing every day, eligible at first, third and outfield. I've got some Marvin Gonzalez who plays, I believe, every single position other than catcher in in, in most leagues. And it just, it gives you that flexibility just to get, just to get warm blood in the lineup. Um, a lot of weeks, that's the best you can do.
0: And of course, the other advantage of, of players like that who have multiple position eligibility is not only are they eligible to contribute on your team, but they're also available to contribute to the major league team they're playing for when somebody on that roster gets injured. So they have pathways to the playing time as well.
1: Yep. Look at, I mean, a perfect example of that is um, is John Birdie in Miami, um, just plays every position and. With so many injuries, I mean, he's going to fall into playing time just because he is that Swiss Army knife utility man, and and has some skill with you know batting average and stolen base skill, which is a premium uh, this season as well. So, um, so yeah, the, it kind of speaks for itself in terms of uh, you know playing time for on the real team, but also for roster flexibility here in our uh, in our in our game.
0: You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt here with Ryan Bloomfield from baseballhq.com, the speculator columnist on the site. And since we've been talking about injuries, uh, no better time, Ryan, than to talk about your most recent speculator column uh, called uh, Hidden Injuries, uh, Early Hidden Injuries for 2021. How did you pick out the players you think might be playing through minor but still performance altering injuries?
1: Yeah, this one's always uh, kind of a morbid column that I <laughs> I hope I'm wrong about every year. Uh, but but basically, what 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 I did this week in the speculator is look at guys who have just fallen off the table, uh, really without explanation, and it, both from a result standpoint and a skill standpoint, and 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 see what's going on and see maybe that you know is there a hidden injury. The 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 example I put in there for the column was uh, Chris Bryant last year, who, who had a, uh, you know, a diving attempt in left field and missed one game, kind of hurt his wrist, uh, didn't really kind of played it off, wasn't really a big deal. And then it uh, wasn't until this past March, where Bryant admitted that like, yeah, I was playing hurt the entire season. And even though I was playing, I think he did go on the IL, but he came back, it was a minimum stint even though he was playing every day and you kind of think, oh, he just missed one game, that injury is going to be fine. Um, it lingered with him all season and obviously affected his uh, his power output. And we see what Chris Bryant's doing this year. So I kind of took that concept and, and moved that forward to this year. And so what I did was look at a few kind of key skills that, that often portend to injuries. So increases in ground ball rate, um, decreases in hard contact, again, kind of out of the blue, and then increases in strikeout rate. Kind of built an initial list of guys based on some of those filters, and then just kind of poured through the news items for each one of these guys and just see did they did they miss a game or two in April? Did they miss some time in spring training because of a a sore wrist and then came back three weeks or three days later and and the results still aren't there? Are those guys potentially playing through a hidden injury um, that they haven't either either they haven't told the team or sometimes the team doesn't release it to the media? Uh, There's a lot of different uh, Uh, ways of mischief there but that was the general concept of the column look who look at guys who just kind of inexplicably fall off the table see which ones had little nicks and dings and that sort of thing the last month or so and uh and kind of speculate and see what's going on there
0: and uh, I don't want to promote any particular website other than Baseball HQ, of course, but The Athletic does a really good job of covering this kind of stuff because they have a beat reporter in every city. And if you just keep reading those blurbs that they put in about what's going on in Boston or Baltimore or wherever, you'll start finding out those little stories and you can put a narrative together about why a certain player is not performing well and, uh, there's all kinds of examples of that one uh, that I'd like to talk about with you that was in your column is Toronto multi-position guy Kevin Biggio off to a horrendous start Uh, he's had a few hits of late but the last time I checked he was under 200 with a 286 slugging percentage among other rock bottom metrics Uh, what's your analysis of Kevin Biggio's potential to be fighting through some kind of injury
1: yeah, it's that's that's one where it's like you would think Kevin Biggio, uh, you know, put together some some pretty great skills last year. Good hard contact. He ran often. He 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 his strikeout rate was fine. The the batting eye was great, and that has completely fallen off the table. Almost you know across the board, he hasn't attempted to steal so far this year. The hard contact is down. The strikeouts are up. Um, and it's like somebody in their age 26 season, you know, should be kind of taking that step forward a little bit, you would think. Uh, so in Biggio's case, I kind of looked into it and he had a, you know, he dealt with a finger issue in, in spring training, missed a few games, came back, and then later had a, a hand injury and missed a few games in the regular season and in the middle of April in the same hand. So it's like, you know, is that is that hand uh, fully healthy or is he playing through? Um, an issue there in that hand is, is sapping his power um, or he's tentative on the base pass. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to dive headfirst into second base. So he's just not going to steal because he doesn't want to, uh, he doesn't want to irritate that injury. Um, Again, I don't, I don't know for sure, but this is the speculator. Like this is me just kind of taking an educated guess as to why Kevin Vigio has um, completely fallen off the map. And it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if, he either hits the IL later on or sometime down the road in an interview with a reporter somewhere, maybe at the athletic with one of their beat guys, guys or gals um, that uh, that he he kind of disclosed and says, yeah, like my hand was kind of messed up that year and and it, it, it impacted me. So um, that's one guy. He was the cover guy of the of the uh, of, of the story. And, and Biggio's fall has been puzzling for sure.
0: After I read your article, it put me in mind of uh, I was watching the Jays. I watched them a lot because I live near Toronto. We get a lot of games just through local media and a lot of coverage through local media. And I was watching a game where he was playing third and he came in on a high bouncer and he reached up to try to barehand it. And the ball kind of skimmed across the top of his fingers and bent them all back really badly. And it looked like it hurt. And then subsequent to that, uh, the news came out that he was – grappling with this issue with his hand. And I I think hand issues are interesting, Ryan, in the sense that we don't think of them as being super important compared to knees and elbows and all the the joint problems that ball players can have. But boy, if your hands aren't in good shape, you're in trouble when you're swinging a baseball bat. Uh, Hands, wrists, thumbs, fingers, all of these kind of things can really have long-term implications for especially for power hitting.
1: Yep, absolutely. And that's why kind of in this column a lot of the the common theme was with some of these guys was uh was hand related stuff because it uh and again it and and a lot of times teams are vague about this. They just say, you know, hand injury. Well, what is that? What does that mean? Where is it on the hand? Um that which 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 hand uh compared to is it you lefty or righty? Uh batter like yeah, and that the hand wrist all that stuff with power is um It is scary. And so it's, it's, it's a plausible explanation for why a lot of these guys are struggling. And so like a lot of the, and so one of the comments I got in the article was like, so what, what's the takeaway for this information? Um, You know, what if a guy is playing hurt? do you, you know, maybe sell low or is it almost, and one of my responses was like, it's kind of a long-term, like almost bank on these guys to rebound next year. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't help you this season, but, uh, but, but it, it 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 almost is kind of like a sell low if, if you think they are playing through injuries. The other, I mean, the other kind of thing here is is that injury going to linger all season, or maybe they do kind of take a time out, go on the IL for ten days, get healed up, and then they're back and good to go. Um, it, it's so case by case; it's tough to tell. But uh, but it, it's at least an explanation for what, for what's going on so far.
0: In the meantime, uh, Ryan, how can we monitor a guy like Biggio for signs that? things are turning around, that he's recovering from whatever the problem is and uh, is getting back rounding into form. What are the early signs of that as far as you think?
1: Yeah, I would, I mean, in, in that, in like a Biggio case or someone who's lost the power, I would just look for hard contact. And I mean, that's easy to say, but look at, go to like their, um, go to their Statcast page and, and see, you know, what kind of exit velocity is he showing? Is, is, did, did he hit a ball, even like, even just one ball? Uh, did he have a, a maximum exit velocity over, over 105, 110 miles an hour? Like, is he able to make hard contact? That is a good sign, even if it's just, one pitch. Um, I know that sample size is really small, but, um, you're just looking for any kinds of signs at this point that, uh, that the power is coming back. So that's what I would look at is, uh, just even go down to that per at bat level, even, you know, in there's MLB film room. Now you can go in and actually watch her at bats and then pull it up pretty quickly. Of a, of a particular at-bat. Um, check that out, see if he's favoring his hand. Is he wincing at all when he swings? That sort of thing. Um, those are the little kind of signs you can look and, and see uh, see where they're at in their potential recovery.
0: You had a couple of catchers on your possible injuries list or hidden injuries list. Yasmani Grandal was hitting barely over one and a quarter and a ton of weak ground balls. What do you, do you think that his injury might be?
1: Yeah, I mean, catchers are, I guess there's never any hidden injury with catchers. They're just always injured, but um, that's kind of the rub against drafting early catchers. And I have Grandall and, and AL Tout. And yeah, Grandall has the highest jump in ground ball rate of any hitter so far in 2021 at a 36% ground ball rate last season. And that shot up to 56%. So that's a pretty immediate uh, red flag. The thing with Grandall is he dealt with a knee injury pretty much throughout all of March. And did that just go away? I don't know, but he is a 32 year old catcher. Like he's starting to get to that age where uh, these types of things linger. And then with a the catcher, you you never know. Maybe they took a foul ball off the off their hand or off the mask or whatever. Um, there's an infinite number of of dings and dents that they take. But for me, it's the it's the it's the knee problem um, in March with the age and the rise in, in ground ball rate that tells me uh, you know maybe something's not right with Yasmani
0: Grandal. And staying behind the plate, Gary Sanchez got people excited at the start of the year, a little streak of two home runs right at the beginning. But since then, it's been really dreadful. Uh, I think a 157 batting average last time I checked, slugging percentage of 176, and that's with two home runs factored in. Where's the injury possibility with uh, Gary Sanchez, do you think?
1: Yeah, uh, what, a, what a career path Gary Sanchez is going down. Um, he just has not been usable at all uh, really the last two three years but yeah in his case yeah sanchez hit two home runs his first two games of season like maybe he's coming back he got hit by the hit by a pitch on the hand on april 17th and you look at uh, the before and after splits to when he got hit um on the hand and it's pretty uh pretty eye-opening since since then he's gone two for 23 with no extra base hits um. Obviously, our power skills are way down for him, and uh, it's starting to cost him playing time. Because you factor in, I mean, Gary Sanchez is a bat-first catcher. Um, he's starting to lose time to Kyle Higashioka. I uh, hope I pronounced that one right uh, behind the dish in 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 New York. And um, maybe that extra rest helps Sanchez get right. But uh, but it's it's a troubling sign for sure.
0: Garrett Cooper of Miami checked three boxes for your analysis. What were the three boxes, and how did they add up, as far as uh, injury analysis goes?
1: Yep, um, concurrent spikes and strikeout rate. Uh, low hard contact, and a high ground ball rate. So those are like the big three that I'm looking at for this exercise. And and Garrett Cooper was already there. Cooper missed time in April with a groin and foot injury. Um, So he does kind of have those little news bits to say, hey, maybe he is dinged up in uh, two different, uh parts of the body. So, um Gary Cooper somebody who who I was kind of in on this season, um really kind of looked good. Was on a 25ish home run pace the last couple seasons with like a 280 batting average and that's plummeted down to like 177 so far with just two bombs. So, um it's hard to tell like if that groin and foot are is is kind of impacting him, but something's definitely changed beneath the surface with Garrett Cooper with, uh, with all three indicators trending the wrong way. So he, uh, he was an easy inclusion into this column.
0: Are you willing to get specific about what you think the injury might be based on the kind of changes you've seen in the metrics or are we just saying we think he's hurt and leaving it at that?
1: Yeah, for, for my I I'm not gonna pretend to be a uh a, a Matt Cedarholm or a James Ferretti here on the site. But uh but yeah, I kind of leave it as um as as he had these injuries in these places and at the same time he's showing different and poorer skills. And so I'm just kind of leaving that out there to uh to just speculate that it might be something. I don't I don't know if we have the um the research, the data to kind of say this injury means, you know, a, a rise in ground ball rate or a strikeout rate. Uh, maybe that's out there. Maybe that's a research task for our team. But uh, but I just kind of left it at that when when there's a change in skill and some kind of prior injury, um, they make the cut for this thing.
0: And finally, an interesting story about Andrew McCutcheon, who's hitting well under 200 through his first 84 at-bats. Then you wrote about his struggles that very night. I think he hit two home runs in a single game. What was the key event that tied into your coverage that maybe has led to a resurgence for Andrew McCutcheon?
1: (laughs) You love when that happens, right? uh, Because for the listeners behind the scenes, we typically, for these columns, we we post it uh, to the site for editing kind of the day before, sometimes two days before. <clears throat> and uh, in between that time when you post it and when it publishes on the site, right, they're playing games. So Andrew McCutcheon, and I wrote up, he, uh, he got his eyes checked on May 3rd, the morning of May 3rd, uh, it was having uh, apparently some issues seeing the ball uh, playing the field. And so uh, Philly brought him in to get his eyes checked. So that that uh, caught my eye, I guess, no pun intended again. Um, but like maybe he did need to get his eyes checked. McCutcheon was hitting 179 through his first 84 at bats. Goes, goes to the uh, um, goes to the dock. The night of May third, so the night between my my posting of this column and when it published the next morning, he he smacked two bombs. So um, maybe it is a maybe it is a Tommy Fam type. I can see now, and there we go. Um, that was just kind of interesting. And then yeah, a couple subscribers in the comments uh, uh, made note um, of that optometrist appointment in between the uh, the posting time and the publishing time. So that's always fun when uh, when somebody who you think might have a hidden injury goes out and pops two bombs the night before the column Post.
0: Yeah, you don't think of a a guy just needing a change in his eyeglasses prescription or perhaps a first eyeglasses prescription as he gets a little older as being an injury, but it is a health-related thing, and I believe that it's becoming more important in how Major League um, clubs, teams, agents, and doctors all look at these players because eyesight is so critical, especially to a hitter. I, I think you could get by with a sort of sub-average or sub-optimal eyesight in the field until it got really uh, out of focus because, you know, there's it, it's just a different thing than, than hitting, but if you can't see the spin on the ball, you're not going to hit it at the major league level. You're just not. And if you can, and all of a sudden you, you pick up the spin better, you see the, you know, the rotation of the ball better, all of those kind of things, it seems like this is something that every team should have all their players do at the start of spring training every year. Get an optometrist in there and give them an eye check because it's one of those things that can kind of sneak up on you as uh, those of advanced age like myself uh, Understand.
1: Yeah, and that was my first thought. It was like, yeah, if McCutcheon is is having trouble tracking line drives in the outfield, he's there's no way he's able to tell, you know, you know, a, a fastball versus a curveball right out of the right out of the hand. So um so yeah, I go back to that Tommy Pham example, but I mean that is a tangible evidence of someone who uh once he got his eyes fixed, had the right prescription and was ready to go, he turned into a really good hitter. And like, it wasn't until his age 28, 29 season with St. Louis. And that's kind of the example I keep going back to there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, you're right. It's not a traditional quote unquote injury, so to speak. So I kind of opened my eyes a little bit with the, um, including him in the column, but, uh, obviously you need to be able to see to hit the ball.
0: Do you remember a story from a couple of years ago, more than a couple of years ago, actually, but there was a player who was using the pink-tinted contact lenses because under the lights, you know, the wavelengths of light under sunlight are different from when you're playing under uh, stadium lighting, and he used these pink contact lenses so that he could see the spin of the ball better the red the red stitches on the white background with these contact lenses and at the time there was quite a hue and cry about whether this constituted cheating
1: I was just thinking maybe that's maybe that's the new uh maybe that's the new sticky substance in the year 2021 I had not heard that but I I would not be surprised if uh if teams are looking into even like you know the you know the brightness of the lights at their stadium and and, and that sort of thing. Like um, I, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't surprise me at all to see, uh, you know, it's baseball. Everyone's looking to get an edge and uh, would not surprise me at all. If teams are looking into uh, different tints and that sort of thing with contact lenses, uh, haven't thought of that before, but uh, wouldn't be surprised.
0: And actually, you know, a lot of people in their homes now have have indoor interior lighting that you can adjust with your smartphone to change the nature of the color of the light, and I wonder if uh, an enterprising team, <clears throat> Houston, might be uh, able to put those kind of bulbs into their into their stadium lighting and turn it up when they're turn turn it optimal for when your team's hitting, and turn it down to like murky or, or just change the frequency of the light to affect the other guys hitting. <laughs> There's lots of opportunities there as as they look for that edge.
1: I like this, uh, yeah, conspiracy theory episode of of HQ Radio here this Friday. I, again, wouldn't surprise me.
0: How often do do you think you are going to be doing these hidden injury type speculators? Because there there seems often when I am looking at my free agent pickup potentials and whether to drop guys and those kind of things that this could be really helpful on an ongoing basis.
1: Yeah. And typically I, I I've only run it once a year, but I probably will do a check-in uh maybe around the all-star break or shortly thereafter when there's still enough time left in the season to be able to kind of act and react to these 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 types of news. So um it's certainly worth checking in again here in a couple months because uh yeah, if the first five, six weeks of the season is any indication, there are going to be a lot more coming up. So both, both real injuries or, or uh, I guess above board injuries and hidden
0: injuries as well. And of course, Matt Cedarholm, as you mentioned, does a terrific job covering the above board injuries, yep. the obvious injuries that take guys to the IL, but there is that whole kind of murky undergrowth where there's injuries and guys are playing, but it's really affecting their performance. And get to be about the all-star break you're starting to scramble for column ideas so maybe that's when you can put it in your back pocket for one of those weeks when the uh, muse just isn't singing in your ear i suppose yeah so. i
1: i i'm about i'm about to that point where i gotta i gotta start filling out the content schedule for the second half of the speculator so uh so so yeah at a, at a certain point especially when maybe even when you get to august the the content ideas start to dry up a little bit so um what would, would make sense to go back and uh, and revisit this one
0: you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Ryan Bloomfield, speculator, columnist at BaseballHQ.com. And Ryan, last week in your column, the title was Skills Searching for Roles. These were players who were showing good, even great skills, but still didn't have the kind of regular playing time that helps translate skills into usable stats and production. What skills did you look at when you were filtering the player pool for that article?
1: Yeah, so I um I, I looked at our projections. I looked at our projected skills for the players. Um and then so I basically to get this pool of guys, I looked at basically just part-time players who who don't have that many at bats, not because of injury, not because of I try to kind of avoid the strict platoon guys because um because that playing time. Ceiling is kind of capped if you're totally ineffective against lefties, for example. Uh, But I I took those guys who were projecting and who have shown so far for partial playing time, but then took our expected batting average uh, projection, our power projection, our speed, and then uh, our kind of catch all BPV, which kind of wraps all those those uh, component skills into one number and kind of ranked all of the part-timers by our skills projection and came up with uh, <laughs> a bunch of guys. And that's kind of my general, uh, for a lot of my speculator columns is is kind of, you know, put some filters on there, try and, you know, get a, get a healthy list of players and then write up the ones who I think are worthy of, uh, of speculating on, depending on your league size.
0: Or sometimes an unhealthy list of players, (laughs) based on what we were just talking about. uh, One of the players you wrote about in this context was Mike Talkman, whose skills were somewhat buried in a fairly loaded Yankees outfield. And sure enough, just after that column came out, he got traded to San Francisco. And what looked at the time like a really improved potential to get into the lineup. How has Talkman been doing with his newfound playing time?
1: Yeah, that's another one uh, where you just you love to see it. I say, uh, you know, Mike Talkman needs an injury in the Yankees outfield. And then I I post that one for editing and then he gets traded to San Francisco or a trade would work. Um there. But but yeah, so Talkman since the trade to San Francisco has been getting every I mean you look at his game log in and player link here on the site, and uh it's with the Yankees, it's zero at bats, one game, then one, then zero, then three, then zero, then one, then two. And then since the trade, three, four, 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 four. So he is playing every day uh so far in San Francisco and 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 doing pretty well. Went uh three for four in one of his first games. Um, had a home run on May second with four RBIs. He's uh, he's he's showing why the projections that we have for Talkman on the skill standpoint are, are where they were and why he ranked high on this list. So um, all he needed was to kind of get out of that crowded uh, Yankees outfield where he was obviously buried and has been buried really for a couple of years uh, to kind of free himself from that and uh, get to a place where uh, where teams are going to play him every day.
0: Another outfield on your list, uh, interestingly, was Darren Ruff, also in San Francisco, also an outfielder. What about him caught your eye?
1: Yeah, and that's kind of the that's kind of the downside a little bit. So, like Talkman's trade to San Francisco is kind of going to eat into Darren Ruff a little bit more. Um, Darren Ruff, I really liked Darren Ruff back in the day uh, with 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 Philly. He was um, kind of had that. You know, kind of, kind of that vanilla, like high power, decent, average type of profile, um, didn't really work out for him. He went to the KBO for three years, and he just raked there. He hit over 300, averaged 29 home runs per season, and now he's back. Um, Back in the majors, the forecaster write up on Darren Ruff was was good. We said he is, you know, cheap pop and deep leagues. And that's that's kind of what we're looking for. Again, this is a, a deep league column for someone who, uh, you know, might only play part time. So um, that's what I saw really was the, you know, the underlying power skills, maybe a little bit of nostalgia there from uh, from from previous uh, previous stints in the majors. He is one guy who uh, Ruff is, is playing almost exclusively against lefties. So um, I did kind of put a a link into um, into one of Heather columns, which is the weekly hitter matchups. And you might want to play the platoon role a little bit with Ruff, especially with that addition of Talkman.
0: Well, Ryan, this has been really interesting. Uh, we'll take a quick break here. We'll get our National League and American League news reports, and then we'll get you back for part two. Sounds like a plan. Ryan Bloomfield is the Speculator Columnist at BaseballHQ.com, and he'll be back again a little later in the show. Coming up, we have our Market Watch Player news reports. Nick has the National League. Ray has the American League next on Baseball HQ Radio. Right now, though, it's time in the show when I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In facts and flukes, analyst Mike Werner validates performances by five American leaguers, including Nick Solak, Chris. Christian Javier and Kyle Gibson. In the Arsenal report, analyst Tanner Smith looks at Arsenal's disastrous Europa League loss to Villarreal. No, wait, not that Arsenal. Tanner looks at the pitch mix arsenals of some surprising April aces, including Alex Wood, JT Brubaker, and Julio Arias. And in Playing Time Tomorrow, analyst Matt Dodge looks at outfield situations and pitching situations in the American League Central. And those are just three articles among dozens. A small sampling of all the great content you'll find at Baseball HQ all the time. Player performance validation in facts and flukes. News updates in Playing Time Today and roster forecasting in Playing Time Tomorrow. There are buyer's guides for hitters, starters and relievers. Fantasy market analysis in Brad Coleman's Market Pulse column. Injury analysis in Matt Cedar-Holmes' column, The Big Hurt, and groundbreaking fantasy baseball research. As well, there are tools like the player projections updated every day, daily dashboards, pitcher matchups planners, and those leading indicators for hitters and pitchers. Add it all up, there's expert content, plus tools you can use to improve your teams and win your leagues. And they're why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business.
1: Baseball HQ Radio
0: (laughs) And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Time now for our Market Watch player news reports. Ray Murphy is on deck with the American League report and leading off our National League news and analyst Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio.
2: Thank you, Patrick.
0: Big news this weekend came out of Los Angeles. Big and bad news, I guess I should say. Right-hander Dustin May is scheduled to undergo Tommy John surgery this coming Tuesday. He'll be out for the year, probably longer. Well, into next year is something I've seen. Uh, Ordinarily, we'd say that Tony Gonsolin would be the beneficiary, could step right into the breach. But he's on the IL as well, and only now getting back to throwing off the pitching mound. Uh, Jock Thompson covered the story for playing time today. A lot of moving parts here. We thought pitching depth was going to be a core strength of the Dodgers, Nick, but things have really changed, especially with May's injury. We had injuries to Gonsolin, as I mentioned, David Price, Corey Bruce Bruisedar Greaterall. All of a sudden, what looked like a real core benefit of the Dodgers has turned into a problem. What's baseball's best team on paper going to do about this pitching?
2: Uh, an MRA showed UCL damage and now May will miss the rest of 2021, along with a good chunk of 2022. Uh, with several off days over the next couple of weeks, the Dodgers won't need a fifth starter until May 18th. They will reportedly now begin to stretch out Tony Gonsolin in anticipation of filling May's vacated roster spot. But now on the IL with shoulder inflammation, Gonsolin has just begun throwing off a mound and his IL return time will be projected to be three to four weeks. So Los Angeles may need a Bulletin, game or two in the interim. Mitchell White, Dennis Santana, come on down.
0: Yeah, it looks like that might be the uh, solution. Uh, But I know Trevor Bauer said while he was a free agent this past offseason, Nick, that he wants to pitch every fourth day rather than every fifth day, which could really help the Dodgers solve the problem. But is that actually a possibility? It's possible.
2: Manager Dave Roberts was asked about it earlier this week and told reporters, quoting here, We've thought about it. It could happen. Certainly, Trevor's talked about that. He's open to that, so yeah. The Dodgers have time to think about how they want to approach this issue. They have three off days over the next two, so they don't need a fifth starter. After that, though, we could easily see Trevor Bauer on three days rest at least a few times.
0: Okay, what about David Price?
2: Not an option right now. As you mentioned, he's still in the I.L. with a strained hamstring. Won't be back before late May or early June. And the team says he'll stay in the bullpen when he does come back.
0: And last but not least, I've heard a lot of chatter about the organization's top pitching prospect, Josiah Gray. How does Jock Thompson covering the story see the likelihood of Josiah Gray making an impact?
2: There's not much doubt in Jock's mind that Gray will be in the big leagues this season, but not until he gets some innings at AAA in Oklahoma
0: City. So it looks like uh, for now there's going to be no change because of the, uh, they have the off days for the next few weeks. But after that, I guess they have a lot of ways they could go, and it's hard to say right now which way they will go.
2: Absolutely. A lot of different possibilities, uh, and right now no easy way to predict exactly what's going to happen.
0: And that's tough. Uh, I think I might take a shot at Josiah Gray if I had roster space and if the rules allow the usual caveats apply. But uh, Gray is a top prospect. Uh, He's got terrific stuff. And if he should get called up even a few weeks down the road, I think he makes a great stash for now if if your rules allow it, as I say, especially, of course, if you're in any kind of keeper format.
2: Yeah, I think I agree with you. That would seem to be the smart move at the moment would be to stash Josiah Gray.
0: In Cincinnati, Nick, there have been three constants, Skyline Chili, Grater's Ice Cream, and Joey Votto. And you can still fill up on the chili over spaghetti, follow it up with a nice cone of French pot chocolate chip. But Votto is out of the lineup with a broken left thumb. Tom Kephart covers the Reds for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. What's going to happen in Cincinnati with Votto on the shelf?
2: Well, before we get to that, you forgot the fourth Cincinnati landmark, Doug Dennis of Baseball HQ.
0: Doug Dennis, sweeter than chili, better over spaghetti than ice cream, and, of course, an excellent (laughs) bullpens columnist. But getting back to the point, how will the Reds fill Votto's big spikes?
2: Infielder Jonathan India, Alex Blandino, and Kyle Farmer are likely to see increased playing time in Votto's absence, though it's unclear who will get the bulk of the playing time at first base. India has cooled after a hot start, with his contact rate slipping in recent weeks. Blandino is a patient line drive hitter who has struggled to make consistent contact. Farmer is also a line drive hitter who struggled in 2020 despite increased contact. His 240 XBA suggests the current sub 200 BA likely to rise with more opportunities. None of these hitters is likely to provide pop Joey has provided to date.
0: Yeah. Votto has uh, over the last wild sort of muscled up. We've seen his batting average fall into the two sixties on base percentage fall down a little bit with it. He was formerly a, really reliable 400 on base guy it's not hasn't been that way for the last while but he has been hitting home runs and as you say I look at Blandino India Farmer and frankly I don't see if I think if you added them all up you're probably not going to get Votto's production absolutely the Milwaukee Brewers made a bit of news this week, Nick. Uh, they optioned infielder Keston Hiura to the team's alternate training site on Monday. Tom Kephart covered this story for playing time today. What are the ramifications of Hiura's departure?
2: Uh, Hiura seemed like an important cog in the Milwaukee offense entering 2021, though his 59% contact rate attests to his struggles. His demotion after a slow start at the plate gives left-handed batter Donald Vogelbach, also slumping at the plate a chance to play for his base at least versus right-handed pitching in the short term. Vogelback we'll is a contact-challenge power source. His power comes with a distinctive BA liability. Uh, third baseman Travis Shaw could also see time at first base, particularly when utility infielder Daniel Robertson returns from the IL. We've adjusted playing time this way. Robertson gets a 5% playing time bump. Travis Shaw, a 10% bump. Vogelback, uh, we'll a 40% playing time gain. And Iora, a loss of 55%.
0: Yeah, those are big moves, especially for Vogelback, and he's an interesting guy. I remember him when he was sort of bashing away in Seattle, but eventually the tremendous lack of contact and very low batting average skills eventually cost him his job. He's moved around, and he landed in Milwaukee, and I think he had a cup of coffee within the last year or two, if I remember correctly, and again, he couldn't last long because he just doesn't put the ball in play enough.
2: Right. I mean, when he first came up in Seattle, he was, he was really mashing and and but the the thing was the pitcher did not know how to pitch him at that point and as soon as they learned what he couldn't hit, uh, then the, the contact rate dropped uh, precipitously and if they throw the ball in the right place he'll still mash it out of the ballpark but uh, other than that there's uh, there are definitely contact problems with they go back.
0: interestingly enough, if you go back, Well, into his uh, early days in Major League Baseball, his contact was even worse. Uh, He's actually at 73% this year, which is a career high, but it it doesn't seem to come with anything tangible. You know, he also walks a lot, and his uh, eye ratios are around 0.5, 0.6, which isn't fantastic, but it's not nothing. And he had 30 home runs in 2019, but after that, it just all seems to have fallen apart, and I can't figure out why
2: yeah it's hard to know exactly what's going on but you're right it's not uh he doesn't seem to be the player he once was and certainly doesn't generate a whole lot of fantasy excitement
0: also in milwaukee the brewers put catcher omar narvaez on the il with a hamstring injury leaving fantasy managers counting on narvaez a little hamstrung we could say tom keppard also reported that the team recalled catcher mario feliciano from their alternate training site now we know Narvaez was off to a blazing start. I think three seventy-ish, great plate discipline numbers, about fifteen bucks worth of stats so far. But backup Manny Pena's out. Narvaez is out. Uh, who's in?
2: Feliciano will share Milwaukee catching duties with light-hitting journeyman Luke Melee. as hot starter Omar Navas joins veteran backup reliever Manny Pena on the IL. Feliciano seems likely to fill a backup role for now, as is in his first major league exposure. He's previewed in our call-ups column. Mayday's um, previous MLB resume suggests he's not roster-worthy, a career 55 555 OPS OPS, 600-plus at-bats, with a .212 expected batting average and a .22i. The walker will eagerly await the return of Narayas. He's displayed skills during his hot start, which suggests his contract slippage in 2020 might have been a small sample anomaly. And reverse that slippage, posting an 85% contact rate to date, his highest since his rookie 2016 season company by a 309 expected batting average
0: you mentioned the call-ups report uh, baseball hq of course our scouting team publishes a report every day it's updated with the latest call-ups and when they were talking about this mario feliciano they called him an 8c prospect and that means the c means he has a 50 50 shot at achieving his ceiling and his ceiling is a really solid regular that's what the eight means they called him a, a potential starting catcher with solid regular upside, and our scout team called him a gifted hitter with plentiful tools. At the time of that analysis, they said 2021 is probably not going to be his breakout year because of playing time issues and because Narvaez was in front of him, although that might change if Mayleague Continues his career pattern of basically not hitting. I think Feliciano Nick looks like a great stash in a keeper league, and he could be worth a shot in a National League-only league right now, or maybe even in a mixed.
2: I think you're right. It's certainly someone worth taking a long look at to see exactly how much playing time he's going to get uh, and how he does in in this initial exposure.
0: It's not like you're dropping Johnny Bench out of your second catcher spot to add in a, a flyer like uh, like this Feliciano guy. Absolutely. Staying behind the plate, Atlanta placed two catchers on the I.L. Catcher Travis Darno goes in with a left thumb sprain. I was watching the game when uh, the reserve catcher Alex Jackson came in and uh, got injured uh, that day or the next. The team has recalled a couple of catchers, William Contreras, a rookie, and a venerable veteran, Jeff Mathis, from the alternate training site. Phil Hertz covered the story for playing time today. What's the skinny in Atlanta catching other than it looks pretty skinny?
2: It does look skinny at the moment. Darno has now hit the I.L. every season since 2014, although his 2020 trip was COVID-related. The current injury is requiring surgery, and he might be out until late in the season. I've seen some projections that say he won't be back until September. Uh, we're leaving Darno with some playing time as Atlanta's hoping to get him back at some point. Joining him on the I.L. is the backup catcher, Alex Jackson, meaning that Atlanta, at least for now, is going to be leaning on the old and the new. The old is the 38-year-old Jeff Mathis, who is. Played every season since 2005, but only managed a career expected batting average of 197. His strength is his glove, which is reputedly among the best in baseball. The youngest, William Contreras. Entering play on May 2nd, he has 219 plate appearances above double above A ball. Two nine were in 2019 at AA, where he compiled an OPS of 647. The other 10 were with Atlanta during the 2020 pandemic season. Contreras did four hits in those 10 plate appearances, it wouldn't be a surprise to see Atlanta try to obtain a catcher via trade. Also, one named tucked away is former Brave Tyler Flowers, who currently has a non-playing position in the Atlanta organization
0: a non-playing position. Hey, Tyler, put down your broom. They need you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and finally, Nick, we talked last week about the Phillies calling up uh, outfielder Odubel Herrera, putting him back out in center field, but the experiment doesn't seem to be working out. He has a 133 batting average, a 295 OPS. Oh, my goodness. And no counting stats save for one lonely run scored. Uh, playing time tomorrow, roster forecasting series analyst Alain DeLeonardis looks at the National League East and in this week's column looks in particular at the Phillies' center field trauma with a funny headline.
2: Look at me, I can't be center field. And that seems to apply at the moment in Philadelphia. Or you could look at the uh, who you got to call and certainly not Ghostbusters. Uh, Elaine reports that the Phillies are desperate to find a center fielder. Dead last at the position with the 19 weighted runs created plus four players that patrol center field in Philadelphia this season. Most starts have been by Roman Quinn, who has done nothing offensively except get four stolen bases, and even those have come with three caught stealings. A 56% stolen base success rate plus a career, 32% strikeout rate. All he has going for him right now is that he's healthy. Uh, Adam Hazley had a rough start to the season, four for 21, one double, no walks, four strikeouts, and then left the team for personal reasons. Uh, Elaine makes a good point here, noting that we talk about players' physical health quite a bit in fantasy baseball. Mental health isn't always discussed or understood to the same extent. Here's hoping the best for Hazley.
0: Alan's third candidate is Mickey Moniac. He's a Moniac. Moniak. Uh, what's Alan's take there? He
2: has pedigree and first overall pick in the 2016 draft, but he has yet to live up to the promise. His minor league career numbers describe an exactly average hitter. 256, 302, 390, 22 home runs, 42 stolen bases, uh, 100 uh, weighted runs created, plus in 1,540 at-bats. Moniak has good speed, moderate contact, but subpar patience and very little power. Uh, After missing a year of minor league development in 2020, he'll continue to hone his skills with AAA Lehigh Valley after being assigned to the alternate training site last week. Uh, Elaine says Moniak is still the long-term solution at center field, though how much we should expect from him in Philadelphia this season will depend on his progress weighted against the team's other options.
0: And as we're saying, not that many great options. Candidate number four, Nick Maton, nominally a second baseman. Could he be the answer?
2: Maton started hot. 327, 365, 429. Three runs, one run batted in, 49 at-bats, replacing John Shigura at second base. But Segura is expected back any day now, so the Phils might try to keep Baton's bat in the lineup by pushing him out to center field. But if they do, it'll be the first time he's played center field in his pro career. It's kind of nuts that the team is even considering a professional debut in center field with no previous experience. Yet, here we are. Baton is still coasting on a 47% hit rate, and his 2-for-14 walk strikeout ratio suggests that he may be in over his head.
0: And finally, of course, there's still Odubel Herrera.
2: Odebel Herrera was called up from the alternate side on April 26th, already on the hot seat. Slow start, two for 22. One walk, five strikeouts. And that starts under a microscope due to the ill will he's built up for the team and the fan base after his 2019 suspension for domestic violence. It's hard to say if his teammates object to his presence in any way, but with his reputation such as it is in tatters and his skills in regression since before the incident, the team is unlikely to afford him much more time to find his rhythm.
0: Okay, Nick, so the $64 question is going to be, how does this all finally add up?
2: This is our best guess. Whether Girardi plays Maton in center field or gives Herrera more rope, neither player projects to be above average in the long run. Hazy would probably be their best bet, but there's no telling when he might return. Keep tabs on Moniac's progress in AAA. Hope you can avoid playing the Philly center field pachinko game.
0: Yes, this doesn't look like a situation where there's Really, any profit to be made? I guess, depending on your team context, you might want to look at Hazley and Moniac as possible long shot speculative type of picks. But in the meantime, I think your best solution is probably just to look somewhere else.
2: Very definitely. Hopefully, there are other center fielders out there that you can put in your lineup, even if Philadelphia is having a problem.
0: Thanks, Nick. We'll talk to you again next week.
2: All right. Thank you, Patrick.
0: Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at baseballhq.com and covers the National League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Over we go to the American League and baseballhq.com columnist and co general manager Ray Murphy. Ray, welcome back to the show.
3: Glad to be here, PD.
0: We're going to start with something that really isn't that impactful a piece of news, I don't think, but it's something that we should talk about given that it affects a first ballot hall of famer. Albert Pujols has been DFA'd by the Angels. They're going to release him essentially from uh, the roster. He'll get paid to the end of the year. I think this is his last year of that 10-year mega contract that he signed, but uh, definitely an end of an era
3: Yeah, it sure is. It's uh, you know, pools has always been sort of a touchstone. I was not at the first pitch Arizona that so many of our friends and colleagues talk about, I don't know if you were there PD, the year that Pujols lit the AFL on fire. And as the story goes, everybody who was out there knew to get him for a buck in the end game of their drafts in 2001. And of course he went off, uh, right out of the gates, like a rocket, you know, his whole career took off from there. And, you know, a whole, a whole bunch of people who saw him out of the AFL in the fall of 2001, got in on the ground floor of that.
0: 2001. He had a 10, 13 OPS and, uh... 37 home runs, 130 RBIs, so not not a bad way to start your career and not a bad way to start your fantasy contributions either. Uh, uh, There's going to be lots of people talking about the the great accomplishments of Pujols. Of course, most of them focused in his St. Louis years when he was banging out 40 home runs a year and 140 RBIs and was MVP multiple times, and deservedly so. Uh, We're talking about the American League, and I wonder what did you think of the decline of Albert Pujols over his last... Ten years from the age thirty-two till now, in Los Angeles, he started off pretty good, but predictably, as he got into his mid-thirties, late thirties, the bloom was definitely off the rose, and it really wasn't full-on Albert Pools that we were seeing anymore.
3: It wasn't, and you know, it was equal. It was funny because it was equal parts tough to watch in a lot of places, but then you'd get the occasional glimmer of. How good and not just how good a player he was, how good a hitter he was, but how smart he was too. There was a there was a viral clip about him stealing third base a couple of weeks ago when the second base when, when the uh, he wasn't getting closely held at second and the pitcher wasn't paying any attention and he he perfectly timed his like walking lead and just went to third base without a throw. And I, actually, just this, just yesterday, I was chuckling because I noticed that uh, the other night when Anthony Rendon left the game after uh, getting. Hit on the knee with a bruise. P- Pujols ended up at third base late in the game, which <laughs> we haven't seen in seen in Lord knows how long, right? But it was a th- it was a throwback to you know exactly what you were talking about. What he was when he came up when he was he was a third baseman. So you you'd see these little things, but in between was just you know like a parade of flyouts, right?
0: Yeah, that was that was the too bad part of it. And, and you know, it's the recency bias part of things where the last thing you remember is the most uh, telling thing in your memory that somebody says five years from now, did you ever see Albert Pujols play? And anybody who only caught this part of it's going to go, yeah, kind of an older guy, had the odd hit, had the odd home run, but really nothing special. And you think to yourself, really nothing special because you didn't see the first part. Totally,
3: it's the uh, you know kind of kind of like the Ken Griffey Jr. in Seattle versus Cincinnati bit, right? Right. It's uh, you know it's just a a dichotomy of you know two different careers. Like you said, he had a couple of good years to start out in Anaheim, but you know the the dividing line isn't that far off from St. Louis versus L.A. Um, And you know I'm reminded of the. it was a story in one of the you know 420 books about Mickey Mantle. Uh, you know, one of the ones I actually read, where Mantle laments uh, you know after, at the end of his career that he hung on too long and ended up with a 299 batting average for his career. And I went over to look at Pujols a little while ago and. Sure enough, two ninety eight. So uh, you know, it's probably a bit of a different calculus as far as hanging on too long, at least because uh, Pujols was getting paid uh, paid to watch that batting average drop, and you know, was obviously you know signed that contract and and deserves every bit of that money. So he may not feel as bad about it as Mantle did, but uh, you know the the baseball reference line you know starts with a two now, and it probably it did not just a couple of years ago.
0: That's right. As a matter of fact, he hit 300 every year in St. Louis, except for his final year there where he hit 299. So he certainly didn't do himself any disservice staying on that last year in St. Louis as far as his career average went. But from then on, it was just absolutely straight downhill 285, 258, 244, 241. You know, a couple of years in the 240s, then 224 and under 200 this year, which is really kind of a shame. It's like uh, all those old boxing movies where the guy goes back into the ring, like Ali, for that matter going back into the ring that one time when he really should have thought better of it.
3: Yeah, it, it, from from a baseball perspective, given, you know, the lack of productivity there and really the lack of versatility too, Uh, you know, you joke about Rendon going over to third base, him going over to third base when Rendon got hurt. But, you know, with the, that, the way that roster is built with what they're trying to do with Otani and Otani, be, you know, clogging up the DH spot clogging in the sense that he doesn't wear a glove and go out in the field, but obviously they need to keep his bat in the lineup, having another first base DH only like Pujols on that roster, you know, and and the lack of flexibility that created in addition to the lack of production is, is, I'm going to assume what led to the change happening now.
0: Yeah. And Jock Thompson mentioned that in a, tweet that he had, I'm sure Jock will write about it at Baseball HQ, but he, he basically said the same thing, that, that, that keeping holes on the active roster and in the 26-man roster was creating all kinds of playing time problems uh, for a team that has to start looking at its younger players, and that means creating room for those younger players to get in and become part of the core, allow the Angels to figure out who's got it and who doesn't, make some kind of decisions about guys like Joe Adele, and all of that kind of stuff had to kind of sit on the sidelines while Albert. Pujols was sitting on the bench, or you know, hobbling out there to to play the odd game at first base, or to you know, DH once in a while.
3: Exactly right, and you know, I, I even wondered in the context of Rendon. You know, we talked about Rendon getting hit the knee the other night and having to leave the game, and he ended up on the DL with, uh, with with a knee bruise. And you know, there's some speculation that it's going to be a minimum 10 days thing. But you wonder if it could have been. A uh, three, four, five day thing that didn't require a DL stint. If they had more roster flexibility, that they could have, you know, ridden it out without a couple of days for of of Rendon. But having Pujols on that roster, it was one of the things that was keeping them from being able to do that. So maybe that sort of forced the conversation here too.
0: Yeah, and he finishes his career, you mentioned the two ninety eight batting average, which is kind of going to be a disappointment, I'm sure, but he also finishes his career with 667 home runs, I think just ahead of Willie Mays, whose birthday was just celebrated, I think, today or yesterday, and also finished his career in a sort of ignominious fashion with a, a second team away from where he had his most shining years. I don't... I've seen... Twitter comments where people are saying, had he not missed time because of COVID last year, that he would have reached 700. And at 667, I don't think that's even mathematically possible, given the fact that the last time he hit 33 home runs was six years ago.
3: Yeah, he probably would have needed what the missing 100 games from last year and then a full season this year. And right. then even that might have been a stretch. Um, I guess we don't, we don't, we can't 100% rule out him latching on somewhere else for the rest of the season now, but you certainly wouldn't expect it would be as an everyday player
0: and even if it was i don't think we could expect that he would bash out 33 home runs in the remaining 130 games or whatever's left it uh, just seems impossible to believe given what we when we look at how many home runs he hits per game even at his peak it wasn't it was right around 33 34 on average and you know he's not at his peak
3: that's right and You know, as you bring that up, it brings up another remarkable thing about him just scanning his games, played column. The durability was really just incredible. You know, one year when he was significantly hurt in 2013 and played 99 games. But other than that, from 2001... All the way through 2017, I, I think the minimum number of games I see here is 143, and most of them are in the high 150s. You know, until, you know, age 37, 38, he was in the lineup just every day. And to getting as that relates to the home run point, um, you know th- – there's not a lot of missed time in that, in that, in that career, right? There's, right. you know, <laughs> there, there's a lot of at bats, a lot of opportunities. For sure, a productive hitter, but you know, it doesn't really feel like one of those cases where we need to lament what might have been. What was was quite good for quite a long time.
0: So, uh, I saw some commentary about this whole situation on Twitter, as I mentioned, and somebody said. You know, something to the effect of certain first ballot Hall of Famer five years and a day from now or whenever, however that calendar works, he's going to be in Cooperstown. And I thought, you know, the first thing that popped into my mind, cynic that I am, is who's going to be the voter who decides I'm going to be the guy who says this is not a unanimous selection and withholds his vote from one of the greatest players in our lifetime, certainly, and maybe in all of major league history.
3: Yeah, I mean, this case is, I mean, Mariano Rivera is the one who cracked that, finally cracked that code and got in unanimously, right? And I right. Mean, but, you know, if that's, you know, if, if that you know, mindset of the older voter of, you know, withholding his ballot for reasons that can't fully be, un- be explained is over, you know, you would think Pujols has every bit as good a chance of pulling that off as
0: Rivera. And then that's going to start a whole firestorm of controversy, which is good for the people who are the voters because they tend to be media people and, and have hot takes about this, that and the other yeah, thing. So. Oh, oh,
3: good, something else they can talk about.
0: <laughs> yeah, something else kind of aimless to, that, that can get into the sports conversation and of course, if Pujols gets in unanimously then everybody's going to go, well then why didn't Willie Mays? Because, you know, as good sure. as Pujols was, Willie Mays was better. Hank Aaron wasn't unanimous. Babe Ruth wasn't unanimous. Ty Cobb wasn't unanimous. You know, the, the inner circle kind of uh, Hall of Famers. None of them was unanimous, and that'll just cause another big schlemaz about how, how the Hall of Fame voting works and how the whole thing. Frankly, I I, ho- I hope to stay out of that entirely. Moving back into the 21st century, Ray, uh, um, the Chicago White Sox had bad news earlier this year with Eloy Jimenez crashing into a wall and being lost for the year. Now they've had to place Luis Robert, another outfielder on the IL this week because he's got a right hip flexor strain. And I haven't seen a lot of coverage of the injury, but what I have seen isn't very promising as far as Robert making a quick return. The team recalled infielder Danny Mendick to fill the missing slot. Rick Green covers uh, Chicago for playing time today at Baseball HQ. Obviously a harrowing loss for the White Sox and for anyone who has Luis Robert on a fantasy roster. What are the playing time ramifications here when we start looking ahead to who's going to get some added playing time?
3: Yeah, I think we're waiting for some final word here. Uh, you know, there was still a determination to be made about whether there was surgery in Robert's funeral here, but regardless, it definitely sounds like a significant injury. I've seen you know three to four months estimated, which obviously is the bulk of the rest of the season. You're talking about you know maybe a September return at that point. I mean, the short-term beneficiary looks like it's Lurie Garcia to take over in center field. He's been you know the super sub. He played a bunch of shortstop earlier in the season when Tim Anderson was on the IL, and now he's the best option to move out to center field uh the 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 club also signed brian goodwin this week and he's going to go to triple a i think to get some at bats but he'll probably be called up in short order he probably fits the description of somebody who can you know masquerade in center field if they need to but i i think defensively it's going to be primarily garcia and let's not forget billy hamilton uh who obviously attracts some fantasy attention for his stolen base prowess but you know, you can't steal first base, so there'll be, uh, you know, you'll, we, we can be subjected to some more of that drama, and how bad does Hamilton have to be to justify the uh, the stolen impa- stolen base impact, but but I, I think Garcia is the uh, the lead center fielder for the moment here.
0: Ray, I think one of the interesting guys in this whole situation might be Brian Goodwin. In 2019, he was actually a really effective player, hit 262, 17 homers, 7 bags, and uh, rang up $11 in fantasy value. I think that's maybe a dark horse here and i'll be interested to see how people cast their fab votes uh, this weekend if brian goodwin's available in the league assuming that he's been called up otherwise next week
3: yeah he he very likely does pick up some playing time here. He can at least fake center field, uh, you know, uh, Chicago isn't a, I don't think a particularly challenging center field to play. So he might be able to, 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 uh, pull that off out there. And, you know, one thing about the White Sox is they still kind of will need Garcia at different positions at sometimes too. So there's, there's room for both of them here. And I, I the bad, certainly Goodwin's bad plays better than, uh, better than Billy Hamilton's by a long shot and better than Garcia's too as you said he uh you know he's returned some decent value and some sneaky pop in the past so uh you, I agree with you there's uh, you know, the, the, a player shooting it to a new team but could have a fairly significant opportunity pretty quickly
0: he was released earlier by pittsburgh if you're keeping score at home uh, staying in the central division and also staying in the outfield the twins placed outfielder alex kirilov on the il he has a right wrist sprain and they activated third baseman miguel Sano to match up the roster uh, rick green for playing time today this all comes a day or two after minnesota also put Luisa rise uh, infielder outfielder on the seven day concussion il uh, what happens to the minnesota lineup with all of this going on Boy, just
3: bad timing for Kirilov, who'd been oh. up for just a, li- just a little bit over a week and had four homers, 10 RPIs, and OPS over 1,000. It was really just taking the week by storm. And boy, if that risk was bothering him for any length of time, you sure couldn't tell it in his output. Uh, but the, you know, the Twins have been kind of vague. We're not really sure what happened or um, what the nature of the injury is. So it's, it's kind of a wait-and-see situation as far as whether the, the, the opening in left field here is a significant opportunity for the likes of Kyle Garland and Jake Cave, who probably are going to split the playing time for now. Uh, Miguel Sano just came back off the DL and is back at first base, so that's uh, that's one less position the Twins have to uh, have to have to keep covered. They've got that stabilized again, but now the the hole and the committee situation kind of moves back to left field, especially with Arias out. So you know, Cave and uh, Garlic for the short term, and we'll, we'll wait and see whether this is a, a minimum DL stay or something longer for Kirilov.
0: That's going to be the key thing, I think, when we watch here. And of course, Kirilov's a power hitter, and we know from a long past experience that power hitters with wrist injuries is often a, a difficult thing to get past. And so I wonder if even if Kirilov comes back relatively quickly, we might expect something of a fall off from this tremendous start that he had that you mentioned, uh, the OPS over 1,000 and all the home runs right away.
3: Yeah, I mean, for sure, he's not going to hit four home runs a week, even with two with two healthy wrists, right? But right. you're right. There's it, it's a uh, it, it's a concern going forward as to whether he's even going to be 100. percent So, uh, you know, I don't know if there's an opportunity for some people to consider selling high on Kirilov. It's always touchy to sell injured goods, but if you get an opportunity, then uh, you know it might be something worth considering if you're in a win win now mode.
0: In Tampa, here's something. The bullpen's in a roiled situation. What a surprise. Uh, they activated right-hander Peter Fairbanks from the 10-day IL, put Diego Castillo on the 10-day IL. He's got a groin problem. Uh, Chris Olsen covered this for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. Of course, Fairbanks arriving, Castillo leaving, all those other guys who are in the saves mix anyway. How do we calibrate what's going on in that Tampa bullpen if calibrating it is even possible?
3: Boy, uh, next man up. I guess is the story here. It, it's kind of funny because, in some sense, in the saves picture, you know, this had actually been a more stable picture for the first month of the season than we expected because Castillo had been the guy when the Rays famously didn't have a guy all of last year, and something like ten guys got saves in two months, but had been had been Castillo for you know almost exclusively for saves or for the bulk of them, which was a little surprising. But the real reason for that was because Kind of everybody else got hurt from Nick Anderson right on down the line. They lost so many. Uh, you know, people who could have factored into that saves mix that it ended up being Castillo by default, but now Castillo goes down. So we go back to spin the wheel again. And, you know, we saw Jeffrey Springs get a save earlier this week, but he's really the primary lefty in that bullpen. So that could continue to happen on a matchup basis, but you don't think he's going to be the every night guy because the Rays aren't going to have anybody being empty every night guy. So, I mean, who else? You know, Ryan Thompson maybe. Andrew Kittredge has been very good and you know seems worthy of that kind of consideration. But he worked as an opener again the other night, so there. You know, he ended up all the way at the other end of the game. So, you wait and see isn't really an answer here. But I, I think the default answer is everybody.
0: I think you're right about that. Uh, you you were correct about Castillo. They have 11 saves so far this year. He's got seven of them, which is a higher percentage of saves landing in one guy's lap in Tampa than they've been really used to for quite a while. Uh, Tampa also got some good news in that first baseman G-Man Choi was sent to AAA uh, somewhere in North Carolina, I think, and he's going to be ready to return to the lineup sooner rather than later. Chris Olsen again for playing time today. What should we be expecting from G-Man Choi once he returns to the lineup and has to fit into a, a fairly successful Rays uh, lineup so far.
3: Yeah, it's an interesting spot for Choi. He's going to need a little bit of time, like you said. I, I wouldn't be surprised to set him, see him get a week to ten days of at bats and in, in AAA. But when he comes back up, there's ample opportunity there. You know, the Rays lineup has been pretty good, but Choi could certainly give it a boost at first base, where Yoshinomo uh, Susugo has been, you know, pretty bad to be blunt about it and has been even been losing playing time on the platoon basis to Mike Brousseau, who um, was supposed to be the short side of that platoon, but had been taking some at-bats against righties primarily because Satsugo had been so bad. So there's clearly an opportunity for Troy to come back up and at least be the good half of the platoon with Brousseau, if not even a little more than that, if he hits. So stay tuned there. You know, Choi probably has a pretty clear... Playing opportunity, and it's probably pretty bad news for Setsugo. I, I think it's probably an open question whether he even sticks on the roster when, uh, or if he's not the one who's sent out to make room when they activate Choi.
0: Chris Holson, in his analysis, said he he wouldn't be surprised if uh, Tampa were to just write off the rest of Tsutsugo's $7 million, whatever they owe him, uh, prorated for that, and just move on without him and let him figure out his own way, which means if you have Tsutsugo on your fantasy roster at the moment, it might be time to start looking very seriously at alternatives because it could be not too long before he's uh, out of a job entirely. Uh, Kansas City Royals recalled left-hander Daniel Lynch from the alternate training site, uh, earlier this week jock thompson in playing time today called lynch a highly regarded prospect and the daily call report marked him as a 9c prospect that's a guy with all-star potential and a 50 50 sort of chance of making it uh, number one starting pitcher potential what did we learn from lynch's debut against cleveland on monday of this week
3: yeah, the, the, I didn't get eyes on him, but you know, just scouting the box score was a little bit of a mixed bag. Of four hits, four walks, three walk, three strikeouts, three runs allowed in four and two thirds innings. Uh, but certainly a lot to unpack there, both from the rookie making his big league debut and jitters and all of those sorts of things. And on top of that, you know, it's kind of a weird time for a premium call up, right? And that they kept them at the alternate side for. A month or five weeks, so he was obviously getting some work in, but they called him up right before the opportunity came up to get him a couple of starts against actual competition from other teams in AAA. So on the one hand, a a vote of confidence in him that he's ready and has done everything they've asked him to do. And on the other hand, I guess not terribly surprising that he didn't quite hit the ground running, given that he's basically going from scrimmages to Pitching against major league hitters in a game that matters, so uh, we'll watch him a couple more starts and see what happens. But certainly, the you know, the long term potential and that nice nine C rating kind of speaks for itself. Uh, we're not one hundred percent sure what the cascading rotation effects are just yet. Jake Junis was moved out of had made a brief return to the rotation, but now he goes back to the bullpen to be the long reliever at least for now. And stay tuned on top of that.
0: Yeah, and Junis, I think, filled in for Lynch, came in behind Lynch in that game and really got shelled by Cleveland, so he didn't advance his case any. But when I look at the, uh, the uh, rotation here, it looks like I only see four guys that they can really count on day in and day out, Miner, Duffy, Singer, and Brad Keller, which is not exactly the 69 Orioles, you know, uh, as far as a four-man rotation goes. So they have to find something somewhere, and if nothing else, Lynch looks like kind of the guy by default.
3: Yeah, I don't mean to suggest that he's not here for the long term. I think he is. Uh, and, you know, unless he, you know, just quits himself or, you know, poorly or, you know, somehow demonstrates that they're, you know, that, that he would be better served to be back in Triple A. Uh, it, it seems clear that the, uh, you know, there may, and there may be some innings limitations later in the season, but it seems clear that he's up and he's one of the five for now.
0: And if you signed him coming out of last weekend, depending on your league rules, don't be heartbroken about this you know, inauspicious debut because yeah, uh, ha- I think you have to leave him in there a little while, maybe play some opponents mix and match in a streaming sort of situation if you can and see if Daniel Lynch gets his feet under him because he's a talent, there's no question about that. Uh, Yankees lost infielder Rugnet door to the IL, a knee injury. It was quite a horrible collision at the plate. I happened to be watching the game and his knee hit the head of the catcher as they were kind of approaching uh, a play at the plate. And the catcher, um, who I can't even remember who was catching, but took a knee to the to the melon and got hauled off but didn't get a concussion. But uh, Rugnet Odor if hyperextended extended his knee pretty badly. Last year's breakout first baseman Luke Voigt has started taking at-bats with manager Aaron Boone says Voigt might be back in the lineup as soon as this coming Tuesday. What are the playing time effects here with uh, Voigt on the way back and Odor clearly on the way out?
3: Yeah, I think uh, Odor got lucky in the sense that he avoided you know, structural damage or anything that would have been, you know, ended his season because, like you said, the play looked bad enough that you thought all of those things were you know, possibilities waiting, w- waiting on the MRI. But he mostly avoided major damage here. But in terms of his opportunity, I think the damage is major because even though he was acquitting himself far right and showing at least improved contact, if not – a um, you know, if not a really improved batting average with the Yankees, uh you know Voids imminent return, I'm pretty sure squeezes him right off the roster. Uh so we'll we'll see what happens or if another injury comes up that allows him to find a way back onto the team. But his, uh, you know, his playing time door is going to get pretty much closed when Voigt comes back, I believe. So Voigt comes back, will be the everyday first baseman. When Mayhew goes back to second base, Torres and Urchel on the other side of the infield, and the Yankees are good to go, at least until the next domino falls.
0: And Chris Olsen covering the story mentioned uh, Mike Ford, who also looks like the odd man out, if only because he has options remaining
3: that's right he has options remaining you figure he goes back to triple a and then you know the question becomes you know how long you know it's not just the infield but obviously the ripple effects uh, you know expand to you know catcher in the outfield with the yankees how long do judge and stanton stay healthy and does sanchez start taking some dh at bats since higashiaka is taking over more of the catching role uh you know there's not a lot of room even for ford as a you know, first base DH only player unless, you know, somebody like Stanton or Judge who, you know, occupy those corner outfields in the DH spot, you know, disappear from the lineup too. So, uh, you know, Odor is squeezed now and Ford may be squeezed soon after.
0: Yeah, I can't see Sanchez getting a lot of DH bats the way he's swinging uh, two home runs in the first couple of games and absolutely nothing since I was looking at a story about it, and it's kind of shocking how badly he's fallen off. I'll be talking with Ryan Bloomfield about that uh, here on Baseball HQ Radio a little later on. Uh, And staying in New York, they also put Darren O'Day, the relief pitcher, on the IL. He's got shoulder problems. And every time I hear about Darren O'Day getting any kind of arm problems, I think to myself, no wonder, right? Considering, right. Considering <laughs> have, you him throw, right? <laughs> yeah,
3: have
1: you
0: watched him throw? Have you seen this guy? Although I've also heard from, I knew a guy who was an orthopedist and he said throwing that way is actually easier on your arm than throwing overhand because it's uh, closer to underhand, which is a perfectly natural way to throw anything. And uh, I thought, you well, know, when I look at it, it looks like his arm's going to fall off and I certainly wouldn't want to try it myself. With impeccable timing, however, Ray, uh, Jonathan Loeziga has been looking very solid and looks like he could step right in and take O'Day's slot as that premium setup guy in a Yankees bullpen that has a lot of uh, high leverage situations.
3: Yeah, you know, we have like go of talent for a while, and it's really been a question of the role he was going to fill, and I think his role was probably going to bounce around a couple of times as the year goes on. You know, clearly right now he's kind of gravitating to the back of the bullpen. I saw him get a save one day last week when Chapman was unavailable or the save situation evaporated. I forget which one it was. Uh, but, yeah, him and Chad Green are kind of the, you know, the right-handed bridge to Chapman right now. Uh, and that changes Lois value in the sense that you might expect more holds then when you're in a holds league. That's great news. The occasional save, obviously welcome. But, you know, if he was further down in the middle of the bullpen in the pecking order, you know, he was also earlier in the season back in April, he was taking some more multi-inning roles. Uh, you know, the occasional second man in kind of fourth fifth, sixth inning and a shot at some vulture wins back there. So he's, he's swung the one into the bullpen, but you know, don't forget the Zach Britton still in this bullpen too, when he gets healthy uh, sometime in the next few weeks and returns and, you know, he might get it, you know, once he demonstrates he's effective, he could jump into the primary setup role with green too. And well, the could swing, could swing back into those multi-inning roles. So the role might bounce around a little bit, but, As long as he's throwing well, he's delivering value. The shape of the value just might change from month to month.
0: 509 OPS against so far this year in 18 and a third innings and a 26% strikeout rate, 4% walk rate. So 22% strikeout minus walk is pretty darn good.
3: That'll play in any role.
0: All right, Ray, thanks. You can play in any role as well here at Baseball HQ Radio, but we're glad we have you in that American League news coverage role, and we'll talk to you again next week.
3: Always a good time, PD. I'll be looking forward to it.
0: Ray Murphy is a co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com. Next up, it's part two of our feature expert interview with Ryan Bloomfield, speculator columnist at BaseballHQ.com. But before we roll ahead, I wanted to remind you we'll be back again next Friday with a full edition featuring a special guest interview, and I'm hoping it's going to be Gene McCaffrey. There's some question about whether Gene's going to be available, but we'll get somebody for you, as well as all the usual great stuff, the National League and American League news, the Minor League Minute, Frequent Flyer, and my expert. Extra innings comment. That's next Friday here on
4: Baseball HQ Radio.
0: And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for part two of our feature expert interview with Ryan Bloomfield, speculator columnist at baseballhq.com. Ryan, welcome back.
1: Thanks, Pete. Needed that breather. Coffee break.
0: We've been talking so far about your Speculator columnist, but you do have uh, other writing that you do at the site, including uh, uh, this week, I think you put up the first Facts and Flukes Spotlight of the Year. Maybe quickly explain what the spotlight is.
1: Yeah, the spotlight is back. And actually, Brent Hershey, our, our co-GM, um, has a free article out there for everyone here today on, on Friday, kind of explaining the spotlight and taking kind of a trip down memory lane. Uh, we've been doing that for about eight years now. And so what the spotlight is, is um, my HQ, HQ subscribers are used to kind of a normal fact, facts and flukes where we do, I mean, still pretty in-depth stuff, skills, snapshots of, of five players in one column. So when we try and kind of hit every single player throughout the course of a season, what the spotlight is, is somebody is is just a deeper dive where we, we dedicate an entire column. To, to to someone. And the way I do it is I typically start off with that kind of snapshot facts and flukes type of analysis to kind of see, you know, what has changed with the skills. But then where the spotlight really shines is you take that deeper dive and you go, you kind of ask uh, even further uh, why certain things are changing with the player. So um, they're, they're a ton of fun to write. You really do get to uh, to dive deep and and really get into the kind of the details of what, what players hitters and pitchers are doing. And uh, you get, you get down some rabbit holes that, you know, sometimes I, I don't expect to go to. And with Luis Castillo, I actually did that uh, with the first one this week, but, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a super deep dive on somebody who, um, you know, is, is really fantasy relevant either for, good reason somebody who's breaking out we really want to dive deep see what the breakout is or in Castillo's case somebody who has really struggled trying to figure out why and then most importantly figure out are those struggles going to continue.
0: I've done a few of these in past years and part of the process Stephen Nickrant who organizes the spotlight schedule sends out an email to those of us who are interested and asks who would you like to cover here's some ideas let's get a schedule put together why did you choose Castillo?
1: Uh, selfish reasons. I took Castillo in the second round of my main event team and uh, has not worked out, even though the team is in uh, third or fourth place. Uh, That is despite Luis Castillo as opposed to it. But no, um, I mean, also just Castillo was uh, just, it's just confounding. He's been a really good pitcher the last like three years. He had triple A consistency on our um, on our, uh, in the forecaster. And again, you just kind of want to see why all of a sudden Luis Castillo has just fallen off the table. I mean, this is a guy, 340 ERA in 2019, a 321 ERA in 2020 with a ton of innings. And then now he's up over six. So is it just a small sample fluke or is there something worse going on? So, um, he was a great example of like somebody who a lot of people are obviously interested in invested in because he was such a high draft pick. Um, People are interested to see, you know, is their season salvageable with uh, with with Castilla?
0: And we should point out that when you say triple A consistency, you don't mean consistency at the triple A level. <laughs> you mean triple A as uh, AAA ratings for was it health consistency and experience? I think something like that.
1: that that's exactly it. Yeah, uh, not consistency at AAA. He probably was really good in AAA, or he just skipped AAA altogether because he was so good. But uh, yeah, a health a consistency and a experience like that's the gold standard for uh, for pitchers and Castillo was one of the few who had that entering season.
0: I wondered when I read this why this or how this stayed out of your possible hidden injuries column because uh, you know a three ERA consistently for years jumps to six all of a sudden you start thinking hey wait a second although the XERA hasn't been quite so dramatic in its increase
1: yeah, absolutely, and and that could be an explanation. I mean, especially with pitchers, the hidden injury stuff. I I mostly just stayed with hitters uh, because you know, pitchers at any time. I mean could be hurt, but yeah, like, especially with Castillo, you look at the surface numbers and, you know, the velocity is down, the swinging strikes are down. Um, Those are indicators of an injury for sure, especially the velocity. So um, that was one thing I actually really took. And that's a perfect example actually of, of what we would do as like a normal facts and flukes analysis, a snapshot. We would take that kind of season long velocity with the spotlight piece. I went even deeper and looked at kind of game by game where his velocity is trending and then with this one i went like i was saying you don't really know which rabbit hole you're going to go down for some of these spotlights i then took those kind of game by game velocities and put weather on top of that and did you know my best uh my best al roker impression and did a whole section in this column on on how castillo does in in different uh different temperatures didn't think i would go down that hole but uh but i did and i found some kind of interesting stuff there
0: Well, one of the things I've always liked as a writer and researcher doing these spotlight reports is that it gives you an incentive to dig into some of the new metrics that maybe we haven't kept up on, at least in my case. Uh, It certainly pushes me over to Baseball Savant to look at the StatCast metrics and some of the other sites that are really pushing the envelope as far as what's out there. And by learning those things and learning about how those metrics work and what the standards are and so forth, can kind of perform a bit of an educational uh, aspect for the people who are reading the spotlight because it gets them kind of involved in those metrics without having to dig into them right away themselves, but they start getting a feel.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And, and if you're like me too, every, every time you go to baseball savant, uh, you know, if you're doing a spotlight piece every couple of months, there's always something new. Um, They have like spin profiles on there now and that sort of thing. The, the, the challenge that that I have with it is, again, we were writing this for our subscribers. So yes, there is all that savant information. I'm trying to take all that information and boil it down to a like something that the readers can can understand without having, you know, that full kind of background knowledge of everything on baseball savant, and just kind of package it in a way that is is easy to understand for the reader, but then also kind of meaningful and actionable. So that's really the challenge. And that's that's kind of a going off a little bit, but like, that's the challenge with a lot of this stat cast stuff is like, what is important? What is predictive? What isn't? I had a little kind of semi diatribe on pitcher, hard contact in this Luis Castillo <laughs> column, um, because we have found that hard contact on the pitching side and continue to find is not really predictive of what's going to happen in the future. Um, so I'm just trying to kind of one of the, one of the duties, I guess, in the spotlight piece is acting like kind of as a filter for all of this data and presenting it in a way that, uh, that makes sense for, for readers who may not be totally well-versed in all of that baseball savant data, because there's so much of it. And, um, and so much of it is new and and, and fresh. So it's a, uh, that's one of the kind of key challenges to the column for sure.
0: That's a very interesting point to make too. I talked earlier this year, I think before the season started with Alex Chamberlain, who's one of those researchers who really gets into the granularity of the StatCast data spin and, and release point and all of that kind of stuff. And I asked him You know, at what point is it getting so granular that the changes or the the increase in our knowledge is way out at the margins that it really stops being entirely useful, especially from a fantasy baseball perspective? And he said, you know, there's a point to that. There is, there is a, a point at which you're starting to you know, work on the fringes where what you're learning is mostly just of interest to other guys like you who are looking into it and trying to find these little you know, 0.00001% changes in how things work, not because it's going to help you figure out anything for fantasy purposes or maybe doesn't even help major league teams or baseball teams look at their players with new insight. It's just like, almost like it becomes purely theoretical.
1: Yep. And, and, and Alex, yeah, Alex does fantastic work over at Fangraphs. And he made the point um, even, yeah, before the season. And yeah, like he gets into these details and he made the point. He he was saying that like it it's harder than ever just to simply like rank guys for fantasy. Just because you get so into the details, like you just get lost in saying – you know, well, Luis Castillo is throwing more strikes because he has. You look at his zone profile for zone profile for his pitches, and he's in the zone more often. And he just needs to throw the ball outside. You get so far down into these holes where it's like, well, what does it all mean at the end of the day? Right. Because really, really, what are and again, what our subscribers are looking for? You know, the question that they're asking is, what should I do with Luis Castillo? So, um, yes, you can use that StatCats information. You can use kind of the deep dive to to put together and package your, your kind of your bullet points and the points you're trying to make for a particular player. But I think it's super important as writers to be able to communicate, um, kind of what you think on a, on a certain player and, and, and use, you know, use that evidence, use those, use that deep dive, use that data to kind of build your point. But at the end of the day, make your point and and say, this is why I think this is what I, uh, this is what I think is going to happen to him.
0: So I have to ask, what was your conclusion about Luis Castillo's early struggles?
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that deep dive with the velocity, like I think the velocity is going to be fine. Um, he was throwing velocity was right back to normal on his last start. The the really interesting thing that I caught with Luis Castillo was that weather related. Um, the was that weather weather related data he is he really is a warm weather pitcher so I looked at the the temperature uh for Castillo's starts and four of his six starts this season have been below 65 degrees the opening day start which was his lowest velocity uh by far of the season was a 37 degree day in Cincinnati and so that's kind of dragging down his uh season long total for for velocity um and just you know real quick the the, the kind of nugget that I found with Castillo was he's made 15 starts in his career um, in sub 65 degree temperatures. Strikeout rate there is 23%. Um, if you compare that to warm weather days, he's made 12 starts over 85 degrees, so that 23% strikeout rate jumps way up to 30%. And then the walk rate as well um, in cold temperatures below 65 degrees, Luis Castillo has an 11% walk rate. That uh, that dumps way down to 6% walk rate in uh, warm weather temperatures. So um, I do think I don't think there's a um, I don't think there's a hidden injury with Castillo. I think the velocity's trending back. He's still getting whiffs with his changeup and ground balls with his changeup. And he's just been hit really hard by the home run ball. Um, and again, hard contact. He's uh, he's giving up hard contact, but that doesn't necessarily mean he will in the future. So short end of it, the damage has been done with Luis Castillo. You're not going to get your second round return um, on investment. Uh, There's just been too much bad, but I think he will. There are signs of him turning it around. We're projecting a 345 ERA for Castillo the rest of the season. And I think that's totally in play once the weather heats up and some of those luck factors even out. So um, I would hold I would not sell low on Luis Castillo right now. Certainly buy low could certainly buy low absolutely and that's the other thing if you're not if you're not a Castillo owner you take this information and 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 see should I should I ask my Castillo owner who is extremely angry at Luis Castillo right now uh, see if I can parlay that into a uh, into a seventy cents on the dollar type of trade
0: you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio Patrick Davitt, with Ryan Bloomfield from Baseball HQ the speculator columnist there and Ryan you also have a really active Twitter feed, including a regular feature you call Bloomboards. Yeah, I think it's hashtag Bloomboards if you're following along at home. Where do these ideas for these little snippets come from?
1: Yeah, the the, the, the Bloomboards have been uh, a ton of fun to do. And yes, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm at Ryan BHQ. Or if you don't, you can just go to Twitter and search hashtag Bloomboards and they'll all pop up for you. But basically what these are, and actually it's funny, the the, the, the birth of these things really was the speculator column. So, like, for example, I was talking about the, um, you know, the skills searching for roles column and how I build a filter of guys who have really high projected skills but low playing time so far. It's those kinds of kind of data poles that I'm using that, that I really do. Right for my own work for at HQ, and so what I like to do on Twitter is just kind of tease some of them out um, and put them out there, and they're basically just kind of lists of guys who meet certain filters, you know, certain skill filters that I think are important, that I think are predictive, and the the best ones are the ones where you know I'll, I'll throw something out there like here's here's ten guys with great swinging strike rates and an uptick in velocity, and you know maybe maybe six of those ten are your Degroms, your Coles, your Buell whatever the guys you would expect but then you go down that list maybe uh you know someone with a bad era so far someone in draft season with a low adp um someone who a pitcher who is meeting those same thresholds but is either going way cheap in drafts if we're in draft season or if the era is is super high and fluky and that's someone you might want to target so they're a lot of fun to do i put them out there um probably about twice a week during the season And uh, it starts a great conversation, Um, uh, a lot of engagement on Twitter with with people who are, are, you know, take like, for example, like a David Peterson is someone who I who I highlighted the other day. And and you just kind of get that feedback from other people who are kind of looking at the same thing. So they're a ton of fun to do. And uh, if you want to kind of follow along, search for them on Twitter. And they also show up on the kind of the right sidebar on the HQ site on our Twitter feed as well.
0: I was curious about how actionable you think these bloom boards ought to be, and I'm getting the impression that maybe what they need to do is get you started in a conversation, even if it's a conversation with yourself, which is, hey, that's interesting, I need to go find out more, not, hey, that's interesting, I'm going to sign this guy up in the next fab round.
1: Exactly. And that's kind of, that's what I really try and stress with these things, because at the end of the day, they are just filters with arbitrary numbers. And it's, if I put out a list of 10 guys who meet this filter, um, it's not like I'm in on all 10. Um, You know, it's the start of a conversation. It's the start of a deeper dive into some of these guys who, you know, maybe if there is an increase in, in whiffs uh, from someone who I, you know, maybe glossed over in draft season or someone who's available on my waiver wire okay, that's interesting. I'm going to go to his, his page. And is he, is, did he switch up his pitch mix? Is he doing something different? Maybe look at some news blurbs to really get, uh, that next level dive and and make a decision on that player. So, um, that's really what I'm trying to do with these pieces. They're not super in depth. Um, they're basically just, I mean, it's Twitter. You only get a certain number of characters, but, uh, but it's, it's just kind of exposing uh, myself and followers to players who, um, who are doing the right things below the surface, but might not be rewarded with it.
0: Uh, You had a bloom board recently, Ryan, that combined hitters ADPs, sub 220 BAs, and core skills, a combination of filters. It reminded me of those old jokes, you know, what do you get if you combine Taylor Swift, a school bus and a ham sandwich, and there's some kind of outcome, but what did you find out from that little bloom board? Uh, I don't know
1: where you come up with that stuff, Petey. That that's good stuff. Taylor <laughs> Swift and ham sandwich. <laughs> yeah, I, I I did not come up with uh with, with with a ham sandwich in this one, but I did come up with guys like Freddie Freeman, Kyle Tucker, guys who you know Francisco Lindor, guys who you would not expect to be hitting below 220 at a certain part of the season but are. And so what I did with this one was, yeah, take those top 180 B hitters, the guys who are uh, fully invested, but then look at the skills with guys and look at the strikeout rate, look at the barrel rate. Are they making contact? If they are making contact, are they making hard contact? And uh, some of the things I, I try and make these things readable and sometimes I'll color code them. So like great strikeout rates are in right. green and, and bad barrel rates are in red. Just so um, if you're not familiar with kind of how this stuff works beneath the scenes, you can kind of just look at it and get a quick takeaway. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, there were guys like uh, Eugenio Suarez, Keston Hero made that list with strikeout rates near 40%, which is deep, deep red in that list. Kevin Biggio, who we talked about, Victor Robles is on there, deep red for barrel rate, just not making hard contact at all and probably deserve that low batting average. Um, Some of the guys with green, so good skills on the same list. Kyle Tucker who's hitting 182 at the time, excellent strikeout rate, excellent barrel rate. Like he's going to turn it around. Austin Meadows is another guy who made that list and has since heated up, hit two homers the other night and is well above the 213 batting average and four homers uh, that he was at when I put this out there. So um, again, yeah, just an example of guys who are underperforming, but may or may not have the skills to kind of throw it out there. So I kind of package all that out there, put it in a, a somewhat Decent looking graphic and post it out on Twitter so you can kind of, you know, take that deeper dive into an Austin Meadows and and see if uh, the slow start is uh, is deserved or not.
0: You mentioned the color coding, Uh, something I've noticed every time I go to Baseball Savant and I look at the dashboard, I'm always momentarily confused because red is good on those sliders and blue is bad. And I always think of red and green like stoplights, but I guess they're talking about temperature or something. I don't know it. A little before the ADPs and batting averages, you looked at some pitchers whose early 2021 fastball velocity and swinging strike rates were down from last year. Some pretty good names on that list. I saw you, Darvish, Jack Flaherty. What's the lesson from this bloom board?
1: Yeah, this was an early kind of early in the season board where you're just trying to, you know, we're all itching to make conclusions on guys. And and, and I mean, we say at HQ to practice excruciating patience, especially with your early round picks. Uh, what I wanted to do with this is, is almost kind of like a hidden injury track is is look at kind of that per pitch stuff. So, again, if, if someone's only made like three starts in season, you um, you can't really take too much away from kind of the core level skills, but once you dip into the actual um, per pitch metric, so that fastball velocity, that stuff stabilizes pretty quickly and the swinging strike rate. Um, I wanted to look at guys who are down in both Um, guys who, who may be hurt or just are not as affected this season. And, uh, and, and yeah, came up with an interesting list. Uh, Herman Marquez was on there at a two thirty six ADP before his recent uh, blow up in Coors where he gave up adern in the first inning and didn't even get out of the first inning. So, um, so yeah, that's just another kind of thing that I'll do is take that Savant data, throw an ADP on it and, uh, and, and see who bubbles up to the surface.
0: One name that jumped out at me on that list was St. Louis starter John Gantt because I picked him up in a league. Uh, He's been enjoying some pretty good success with a sub-3 ERA, but his uh, fastball velocity, you pointed out, off by 3 miles an hour and his swinging strike rate down by 3.1 percentage points, which is about by 25%. So those seem like very concerning numbers. How concerned do you think I should be?
1: I'd I'd be concerned, PD. I'd, I'd hit the trade block. If I were you, with John Gant, he's got some of the worst skills that I've seen for someone with a sub two twenty ERA. Um, he has almost more walks than strikeouts. So a uh 19% strikeout rate and an 18% walk rate, which is really bad. Um expected ERA at HQ of 561. And then you pile on that mate, it's not just a velocity dip, it's a major velocity dip, 93.9 last year. Uh this year it's 90.7 and a BPV. Of negative thirty-three, you don't really need to know what BPV is to know that negative thirty-three is not a number you want. So, um, John Gant, despite the success, despite that two-fifteen ERA, it's going to uh, it's going to implode pretty quickly, I think.
0: Well, minus 33 could be good if BPV stood for brutal performances vector or something like that, so you want as few of them as possible. But I take your point. I think I got John Gant actually in a uh, best ball type of league, so if he stinks out to join, I don't have to really worry about it that much. Maybe in situations like that, you can be a little more liberal with your interpretations of skills and stuff because a a bad start doesn't kill you.
1: Yep, and I mean honestly, I don't want to, I don't want to poo-poo John Gantt too much. Like you, he was an endgame guy, and you, you've obviously you've you've profited from that already. Uh, just don't expect it to go forward.
0: No, I'm not expecting very much at all. Uh, You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Ryan Bloomfield from Baseball HQ. And Ryan, last week I started this new feature to wrap up our expert interviews. We used to have boons and banes, but I thought it would be more helpful to our listeners if we could focus on the upcoming weekend and the fab runs and that kind of thing. And uh, we call it now uh, slumps, pumps, dumps, and jumps, because it has to rhyme (laughs) or have some kind of gimmick. Uh, So uh, let's start with your slump. This is an underperformer you think we should be hanging on to.
1: Yeah, um, I believe I mentioned him earlier, but uh, Hunter Dozier for me is somebody who, uh, who who I'm still pretty high on, despite him hitting just 176 so far this season. The hard contact is is still there for him. Um, the The hit rate, 19% hit rate for Hunter Dozier, is uh, is really dragging him down. And you're already starting to see that turnaround. Um, like I said in the main event, I uh, somebody dropped him and I picked him up. Uh, for this week in place of uh, <laughs> Albert Pujols, of all people. Uh, you can tell how I'm managing injuries there. But Hunter Dodger's already turning it around. He's got uh, seven hits already this week with three home runs. Um, I expect that, you know, obviously not that level to continue. But that's somebody. If you if you drafted Hunter Dozier, uh, stay the course. You're already kind of seeing the turnaround in place. And again, if uh, if if you need a first base, third base, outfield eligible guy who uh, who is who is better than the results are showing, Hunter Dozier's your man.
0: How about a pump, uh, an overperformer you could promote and possibly sell high?
1: Same team, um, Danny Duffy. And it's easy to say that, you know, anybody with a sub one ERA is not going to be, you know, not going to sustain that. Um, And I guess Danny Duffy, he he had a 0.3 ERA, but then gave up three earned runs on on his last start yesterday on May 6th. Uh, But but. Pretty much looks like a mirage. Our expected ERA for Duffy is up near four. Um, strand rate at 92%, which is just not going to happen. That basically means almost every base runner that he uh, he, he allows is not scoring. Uh, that number is usually down in the low 70s. And then a 5% homer to fly ball rate, again, um, home run per fly ball rate for pitchers is largely out of their control. So the homers are going to come up. He's just been, uh, he's been very lucky. He's also been very good. I don't want to say it's been all luck, like the velocity's up, the swinging strikes are up uh, 14% whiff rate there. Um, I would just expect more of like a high three ZRA for Danny Duffy and nowhere near what he's, uh, what he's shown so far. So I, w- I wouldn't dump him, but I would, uh, I would be looked to sell high on Danny Duffy, which he is in, my team in AL Tout, so I probably will not be trading him to you, since I just said that.
0: And yeah, and and I have to warn you. I know pretty well that there's quite a few of our competitors listen to this podcast as well. So yeah, you, you might have shot Never yourself alive. in the foot. Yeah. On second yeah. thoughts, Danny Duffy, what a guy! I'll keep him. He he was a
1: he was a reserve round pick for me in AL. So that's, I've already uh oh, you've I've already read that award. Yep.
0: Something you mentioned uh, when you were talking about Danny Duffy, which I think bears. Uh, repeating and that is that he has a very high strand rate and a very low home run per fly ball rate and those two metrics are tied together in in many many cases the reason that those runners aren't coming around to score is because the guy is either by talent or by luck is suppressing the number of home runs he allows which of course means fewer guys come around to score another good metric to compared to strand rate is, is slugging against, because so you want to see if those guys are getting pushed around, and if not, why not, and that kind of thing. Uh, moving along, uh, how about a dump? This is an underperformer that you're just going to drop.
1: Yeah, and, and and this came up, I was talking to a few folks about this guy, again, Keston Hira is somebody, obviously, who, who has been sent down, but you, if you drafted Keston Hira, you invested a lot of draft capital, and this is kind of that like sunk cost example. Um, I just, I don't, especially if you, if he's taking up a reserve spot that you need, and kind of tying this back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the, of the segment is just with so many injuries, you need warm bodies in your lineup, and it's a, it's, it, it'll be a painful drop to drop Keston Hira, but um, he really hasn't been useful for you for a couple years. There's way too many strikeouts. And uh, it's catching up to him. So I, I think Heston here, If you're waiting for him to to turn things around in the minors, of the alternate site, and, and come back, and uh, there's a lot of ifs there. And if those ifs happen, you know, maybe you maybe it works out for you. But I, I, I he would be a dump for me, even though um, even though you, you 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 drop some pretty hefty coin on on Hira
0: on draft day. And finally, your jumps. These are players you're going to be targeting in this weekend's Fabs because they're not widely owned. Uh, who's your hitter jump?
1: Yeah. So for these, for the I kind of, and one of the, I mentioned this earlier, one of the columns I write every Sunday is a, is a hitter matchups column just for that week. And one of the things I've been doing the last couple of years with fab is, is looking at like short term rental guys who, you know, maybe I don't, you know, maybe I use them that week. They have good matchups, good park factors. And then I, I kind of churn and, and move on uh, the next week, as opposed to trying to target kind of long-term guys in fab. So uh, one thing coming up this week, there's, there's the, the Rockies are always a team you look at with, with schedules and the Rockies play all seven games at home um so grab any and all rockies dom nunez is is a guy who uh you know everyone needs a decent catcher in any league and uh dom nunez is getting some playing time the power looks great and he again gets those seven home games at Coors field he's not going to play all seven but maybe he plays five and that's going to be a a, a a you know could be potentially a, a major boon for you at a position of need so dom nunez is somebody who i'll be targeting we're available because of that, uh because of that schedule, even if he may not be a long term guy for me.
0: And you called him a boon, hearkening back to the olden days here at baseball rescue right. radio. And who's your jump pitcher? I'll go
1: Luke Weaver for this week. Uh Luke Weaver hasn't been That great at all. Actually, he's been terrible. 607 ERA. uh, But our expected ERA for Luke Weaver is is better uh, around the 450 mark. But most importantly, he gets two starts and and pretty good matchups. He he faces uh, the Marlins and the Nationals and both at home. So those are the kinds of things where you know maybe I'm not in on Luke Weaver for the rest of the season but um, gets two home starts against some pretty weak lineups and uh, maybe maybe you snag a win or two there and 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 cross your fingers and hope he doesn't blow your ratios but uh, I, I like where uh I like where Luke Weaver is going to be at. He'll definitely be featured in Brian Rudd's uh, double dip and column on Sunday where he goes through all those uh, two start guys as well so um Luke Weaver for me for this week.
0: Ryan Bloomfield, slump, Hunter Dozier of Kansas City. Pump is Danny Duffy of Kansas City. A dump, Keston Hura of Milwaukee. A jump hitter, Dom Nunez in Colorado. Actually, any Colorado guy you might be able to get your hands on. And pitcher, Luke Weaver of Arizona. Uh, Ryan, this has been a treat to tell our listeners where they can keep up with Ryan Bloomfield.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thanks, PD. As always, Uh, you can keep up with me on Twitter at RyanBHQ. And then the Speculator column drops on the site every Wednesday and the weekly hitter matchups every Sunday. So uh, keeping me busy around here.
0: All right, Ryan, thanks very much for helping us out. Good luck the rest of the way in tout. I think your chances of representing Baseball HQ on the winner's podium is much greater than mine or Doug's for that matter. So best of luck in all your leagues and we'll talk to you again soon. Yep, appreciate it. Ryan Bloomfield is a speculator columnist at baseballhq.com. We'll take a quick break here, then we're back with our HQ commentaries. The frequent flyer and extra innings are coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Before we get to that, though, a celebration of sorts. It was five years ago today, May 7th, 2016, when a baseball miracle occurred. The Mets were in San Diego. It was the top of the second with two out, Kevin Plowecki on second after a double. James Shields had a count of 1-1 one and one on the hitter, through a meatball center-center, and that hitter made no mistake.
5: A 1-1 swing and a drive to deep left field. It's got a chance. Upton going back. It's going to go. Home run. Bartolo Colon. Repeating home run. Bartolo Colon. Seven line army in right field might tear this ballpark down. Cologne carried his bat with him until he was about 10 feet from first base. He's taking the slowest home run trot you've ever seen. He just got to Tim Tuffle, the third base coach. He is approaching home plate. He touches home plate with his first major league home run. And they are going to give him a silent treatment in the dugout. They have vacated. The Mets have left the building. Bartolo Colon is the loneliest man in San Diego as he reaches the Mets dugout after hitting a home run, and there's nobody there to greet him. And now here they come up the dugout steps. Yeah, wow! Me.
1: Baseball HQ Radio.
0: And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick David here. Time now for our regular commentaries. My extra innings comment is coming up, and leading off, it's the frequent flyer, a commentary on players who might be available in your free agent pool and who have the potential to get enough playing time and production to make them worth a spot on your roster. Here with a look at Seattle right-handed starter Logan Gilbert is Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky.
4: He's a dominating right-hander with four pitches that project out to be average or better, according to Baseball HQ's 2021 baseball forecaster, and he's scheduled to make his highly anticipated AAA pitching debut on Friday, May 7, 2021. After matriculating through three levels of the minors in 2019, posting a cumulative 213 ERA, 6 foot 6 inch, 24-year-old Seattle Mariners right-hander, Logan Gilbert, might only be a few steps away from making his big league debut. Through three levels of the minors in 2019, Logan Gilbert punched out 165 batters in only 135 innings pitched. That translates to a dominance rate of 11 strikeouts per 9, exceeding our 9 strikeouts per 9 benchmark at BaseballHQ.com. Plus, Logan Gilbert's 32% strikeout rate in 2019 shows a out almost one-third of the batters he faced. Even so, it's important to remember that Logan Gilbert has never thrown a pitch above double-A and has only one year of the minors under his belt, plus some work at Seattle's alternate site in 2020. That's why 24-year-old Seattle Mariners starter Logan Gilbert, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your league and especially in keeper leagues. In fact, our own Brad Coleman in the March 9, 2021 edition of Keepers on BaseballHQ.com said that Logan Gilbert may quietly be ready to take Major League Baseball by storm. Identified as a keeper cornerstone or a premium quality franchise difference maker who should be a top priority acquisition either by draft or trade, Logan Gilbert, as a former first-round draft pick by Seattle, 14th overall in 2018, still appears to be flying under the radar in most leagues. Additionally, Baseball HQ's Jock Thompson in the February 18th edition of Plague Time Tomorrow on BaseballHQ.com described Logan Gilbert as a seasoned college arm who owns the pedigree, the repertoire, and the pitch ability to find success in Seattle's rotation sooner rather than later in 2021. Playing Time Tomorrow even reported an uptick in Logan Gilbert's stuff from Seattle's 2020 alternate site. So, perhaps the biggest mystery surrounding Logan Gilbert, according to the March 9, 2021 edition of Keepers on BaseballHQ.com, is why Logan Gilbert is not getting more hype among top pitching prospects. Thus, maybe the solution lies in adding 24-year-old Seattle Mariners right-hander Logan Gilbert as our frequent flyer for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com.
0: Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has his frequent flyer commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for extra innings, my comment on baseball and fantasy baseball. And this week, I'd like to talk about fun with filters. Earlier in the show, you heard Baseball HQ Speculator columnist Ryan Bloomfield talking about how he uses data filters to find interesting nuggets about players and groups of players that he can then use for his Baseball HQ writing or for those terrific, fun little bloom boards that he posts regularly on Twitter. Well, I thought to myself, self, I said, why should Ryan Bloomfield have all the fun? So I opened an Excel book with the latest hitter and pitcher stats from Baseball HQ, and I started messing around with filters, various filters on the data, just to see what popped up. And to make it even more fun, I'm going to present the answers in the form of questions, hoping that maybe Aaron Rodgers will want to participate and quadruple my HQ Radio download numbers. So here we go. I started by looking at filters for more than 20 innings pitched and strikeout minus walk rates over 30%, then sorted by ADP. Six pitchers made it through the filters, and three of them, Garrett Cole, Jacob deGrom, and Shane Bieber, were first-rounders by ADPs. A fourth, Corbin Burns, was a fourth-rounder. The other two, though, had ADPs in the 14th round and all the way down in the 26th. Who were these sleeper pitchers? (laughs) One of these pitchers we talked about earlier, Dustin May, had 23 innings pitched and a 31% strikeout minus walk rate with a 14th round ADP of 211. Of course, Dustin May finished for the year. The other pitcher, Michael Kopek of Chicago, had a 33% strikeout minus walk in 20 and a third innings, and his ADP was a 26th round mark of 385 eight pitchers made it through filters where we looked for at least 250 base performance value and a strikeout percentage of over 40%. Only one of the pitchers who made it through produced negative value so far in 5x5 formats. Who is this American League Central reliever? (laughs) Well, full marks if you pulled Minnesota reliever Caleb Tealbar's name out of your hat. Despite his great skills, including a 43% strikeout rate and a sub-5% walk rate, Tealbar's whip is a scandalous 145. Man gives up a lot of hits. And by the way, Liam Hendricks has a 253 base performance value despite giving up 3.1 homers per nine. That will get better, so buy low if you can. Two pitchers made it through filters where we looked for expected ERAs under three, actual ERAs over four, and base performance values over 150, with more than 20 batters faced per game. And they both pitched for the same American League West team. Who are these underperformers? <music> Alex Cobb of Los Angeles has a 298 expected ERA, but a 548 ERA, a two and a half run difference. He also has a 169 whip so far this season, despite a 30% strikeout rate and a 3.1 strikeout to walk ratio. He also is giving up only 0.4 homers per nine, but he is giving up a lot of hits, the tune of 25% of his batters faced. Meanwhile, his teammate Andrew Heaney should be your buy-low target. Heaney has a 1.04 whip, a 4.4 strikeout-to-walk command ratio, a 28% strikeout-minus-walk, and his 2.73 on-base average is 100 points better than Cobb's unsightly 3.73. Moving on to the hitters. Three hitters this year have BPVs, contact rates, and at-bats over 80 this season, but while Jose Ramirez and Ronald Acuna are at or over $30 already in 5x5 value, one of their teammates is barely over $10. Who is this possible buy-low underperformer? (laughs) Ozzie Albies of Atlanta is batting just .236, but his skills metrics are terrific, an 83% contact rate in company with the other two, his power and speed indexes both over league average, and he has a career-high 38% hard hit rate. The culprit here seems to be a measly 24% hit rate. That can't last if you're hitting the ball hard more than a third of the time. If you believe in the idea that hit rates regress in season, then Ozzie Albies should be right at the top of your buy-low targets list. Two hitters have created $20 or more of 5x5 value despite contact rates under 75%, walk rates under 10%, and either one stolen base or none. One of these hitters is Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees. Which National League West infielder is the other? The second lower-skill successful hitter is Colorado third baseman Ryan McMahon, who has eight homers and 21 RBI so far this year with 21 runs scored. The question is whether you believe McMahon is a kind of junior Stanton with the prodigious power that'll let him keep bashing them out of the park, or whether the hot power starts look fluky. I'm not here to tell you. Make your own call. And finally, every year we see batters who are a huge detriment in batting average leagues, but big helps in on-base leagues. This year, two hitters made it through these filters, 100 or more at-bats, a 350 or higher on-base percentage, and a 230 or lower batting average. One of these guys you'll probably guess right away. Yes, it's Joey Gallo of Texas, a paltry two twenty six batting average, but a full-size on-base percentage of 394. What American League Central hitter is also in this filtered category? The other on-base percentage help comes from one of this year's early surprises. Detroit outfielder Robbie Grossman was batting just .212 through Thursday's games, but sported a nifty .366 on-base percentage thanks to an 18% walk rate. Grossman, by the way, is also one of just six players with more than seven net stolen bases, that is, stolen bases minus caught stealings. Along with Trey Turner and Jazz Chisholm, Grossman has seven steals and no caught stealings. The leader in the net steals category, by the way, Kansas City second baseman Whit Merrifield, who has 10 bags and one caught stealing. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt. I have my extra innings commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 7th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 23 of the 2021 Fantasy Baseball season. Of course, I also want to thank our guest expert for this Friday full edition. It's Ryan Bloomfield, the Speculator columnist at BaseballHQ.com. Ryan is one of the nicest guys in the fantasy business, an award-winning fantasy baseball writer, a top-rate analyst, and as you heard, just a terrific guest. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our market watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Ray Murphy. Our frequent flyer commentator was Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt, your extra innings commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on those BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also follow my personal Twitter feed, at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to wherever you catch your pods, and if they'll let you leave Baseball HQ Radio, a good review and a rating. That helps us find new listeners, and it's new listeners that help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back in another week with another Friday Full Edition, featuring another feature guest expert interview. As I said, I'm hoping that Gene McCaffrey will be available, but we will have a guest along with National League and American League player news from Nick and Ray, minor league minute, frequent flyer, extra innings. All coming up next week on the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. Yes, it is Baseball HQ Radio. Talk to you next week, and so long.
1: Baseball
3: HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com
5: homepage.
3: Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual
2: speaking, and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.